Hello again to all you weirdos, Krakoans, and the Krakoa Curious, and welcome back for your third Weird Dose of X. I'm here as always with my good friend, direct from Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, Chris Sheehan. Hey, hey, how's it going, everybody? We are back for our third episode, and, uh, well, hopefully we'll be able to actually get through some stuff this time. I, I, we can't make any promises. I, I can't make any promises. Well, uh, I, I think the last couple of our first two episodes, you know, getting started when figuring this thing out. And also we, we chose the meatiest parts to talk about first. This is so, true. yes, we've, we've only spoken about, I think, 24 actual issues of comics. And there's like, that's less than 10% yeah. of what's uh, been published so far in the Cron yeah. era. So we're going we're gonna to pick up the pace this time a little bit. Because our goal is, of course, to have everybody up to speed, ready for the summer crossover event, Axe Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. I keep I, checking that Marvel website because I'm, I'm waiting to see it be delayed. Everything else is being delayed. The things it's I'm true. doing with Jim keep getting delayed. So I'm, I'm trying to see. But so far, it's, it's remained steady. And it tells me that the first prelude issue, Eve of Judgment Number 1, is supposed to come out July 13th, about a little over five weeks from now. Mm-hmm. So we have a little bit of time to talk about everything between now and then. And if they decide to pull the rug out and delay it a month and a half, well, we'll we'll find something to talk we'll about. Play it by ear for sure. Yeah, they, they are. Uh, it's crazy. It seems like every single week uh, somebody is reaching out to me to tell me, hey, have you checked Marvel solicits lately? And usually my answer is no, because I stay away from that kind of stuff yeah, on the yeah. Internet. But uh, then I'm, you know, I'm given a link and I look and Bleeding Cool saying, hey, check it out. If you have books that you think you're getting, you're, you're probably not. Mm. So um, I have a whole spreadsheet put together of timing when all our uh, crossover books are supposed to come out. And so far, they say they're still coming. So maybe they're prioritizing this or maybe be. it'll all get kicked two months down the road. Who the hell knows? It could. It could. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, we had similar things with the uh, with the X of Swords event, which we'll get to eventually here. But uh I remember that was all set, and then we had, uh, well, we had, you know, the world kind of stopped yeah. for a little while, and that got pushed back. Everything got pushed back, and uh, things got changed in the interim. It's, uh, who knows? I think we have, uh, I think the difference between Axe and uh, X of Tens is that I think this one's going to be more one person's voice. I, I could be completely mistaken, but Kieran Gillen seems to be like the steward. Yes, I bet you, I'm sure the crossover issues and like the issues of actual series that happen to tie in, and we'll Those see. Will be you know, the other folks, always, you never know how much yeah. it's really going to tie in, or if there'll be one panel that actually Correct. matters. I, yeah, we'll see. It, it looks like Kieran Gillen is is you know running the show. Plus, he's also writing that uh, Immortal X Men book right now, yeah. which is it's. I don't know if I'm going to call it the flagship book, but at least mm-hmm. after the first two issues, it feels like it's you know very central because it's all about the Quiet Council. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I still haven't, uh, I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I'm keeping that one under wraps until I, you know, would be able to cover it for the show. So I haven't read it, but I've heard a lot of very good things about it. I'm very intrigued, uh, and very excited to get to it. Yeah. But, uh, first two issues are both quite good. So our cool, specific cool. goal today is to get through the dawn of X era, which was mm-hmm. Marvel's term for all of the X books between the end of house of X powers of X and the first line-wide crossover, the X of Swords. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of books, but oh, yeah. not all of them are so relevant either just at all anymore or mm-hmm. to the crossover. So we'll Marks we'll try not to get yeah. too lost in the weeds on them. So let's jump right in. The first one, which is probably one of the meteor ones, is Marauders by Jerry Duggan. Yes, uh, this one caught me off guard when I saw it on the racks because, uh, first of all, it's like, 
There's a book called Marauders. So who who were the original Marauders? I know it was kind of scandalous in universe when yes. Kate called them Marauders, but why yeah. was that? The Marauders were a group of, uh, well, basically marauding characters uh, put together Fair by enough. Mr. Sinister who uh, were responsible for the mutant massacre, uh, just slaughtering oh, the Morlocks okay. under, uh, you know, under the, in the sewers of New York. And the mutant, uh, the mutant massacre uh, was a pretty groundbreaking story when it happened. It was very, very early in the crossover era. Okay. Um, I can't remember if it was the first or if Fall of the Mutants was first. Uh, I, uh, they're easy to conflate since like you have mutant massacre, Fall of the Mutants. It's, you can mix and match. Conceptually kind of similar. Thing, certainly, yeah. certainly. But um, it was uh, the first time that they actually put effort into having all of the books cross over. And all of the books, it's it's almost quaint <laughs> to uh, to consider. It was it was X-Men, or Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, and New Mutants. That was it. Mm-hmm. You know, those were our X-Books at that point in time. Um, Excalibur would be born of the mutant massacre, but we weren't there just yet. Oh, I didn't realize it spun out of that. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I read some of those, or maybe uh, it was the fall of mutants. Might have been fall of okay. mutants. One of the other. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of writing on both. I don't remember which one is which <laughs> at this point. But um, Excalibur did come out of one of those when the X Men were assumed to be dead. Uh, Kitty, Kurt, and uh, Rachel were. They go into the UK, met up with Captain Britain, yada yada yada, lighthouse new team, blah, blah, blah. They should have just put X dash instead of Excalibur. It would have sold better, but they didn't. And they oh, well. probably shouldn't have charged 50 cents more an issue either. But what are you going to do? But the Marauders, they were the ones who went into uh, to the, the sewers and they slaughtered the mutants, uh, the, the Morlocks. Um, it would eventually be revealed. Um, it was one of the worst kept secrets in Marvel and X-Men history. But uh, that Gambit... The hero Gambit was mm-hmm. um, kind of the uh, he was kind of the scout. He kind of uh, pointed the Marauders where they needed to go. It's like, oh, those are the people oh. to kill. Go ahead and do it. And um, yeah, he was uh, he was put on trial. There was a trial for Gambit in Uncanny X Men three hundred fifty, which very uh, weird, very interesting. But um, comics like their trials. They do. They do. do. And in this one, they actually had a trial, believe it or not. Usually when we have trial in a title, (laughs) it's it's, uh, metaphorical or tenuous at Mm -hmm. best. But when Kate took or call me Kate, I I still hate calling her Kate. I'm not. I I feel like they're pushing it too hard. And I I just don't want to I don't want to play the game. I don't want to do what they want me to do. But when uh, call me Kate says, you know, they were the Marauders, she proclaimed that they were the Marauders. Um it raised a lot of eyebrows uh, in in the story, of course. So we, you know, we are more enlightened than all of that. But um, to take the name of the group responsible for you know slaughtering a great number of mutants, uh, it's it's a bit uh, a bit scandalous, a bit uh, uh, you know a bit sinister. No no pun intended. Mm-hmm. So this this book we talked about uh, the X Men flagship book was just kind of individual, mostly one shot stories, kind of here, there, and everywhere yeah. on Krakoa where Marauders is much more of an actual continuous Near, yeah. story. Mm-hmm. It's I really think of it mostly as the the Kitty slash Kate Pride story. I know Emma's in there a lot too, and there's Storm in there, of course, and all these other characters. But when I think back on what I got out of that story, I think of of what we learned about Kate Pride, Captain yeah. Kate Pride. Yeah, it was it was it was Kitty's book for sure. Uh, Emma would take it over eventually. And Storm I think Duggan only put Storm in there when he remembered that she was a part of the cast. 
It was like, oh, well, yeah, we have Storm. We haven't seen her in six months. Eh, give her uh, five panels in this book. You know, he, she was really kind of just there or, or not there. It's kind of the thing. Um, this one was uh, on the show. I would, I would refer to this as like the most consistent book of the mm-hmm. early era because, um, well, it was. I mean, it wasn't always going to knock your socks off, but it wasn't going to make you mad either. It was uh, sure. a very steady book. You could always count on it to be beautiful. I mean, uh, I think Matteo Lali was the artist on this. It might still be, or maybe before the Orlandoism or Orlandoing of the book. But um, Matteo Lali was uh, one of the main artists on it. It was a gorgeous book. And also it was just, you knew you were in for a, maybe a safe, but a good time. You mm-hmm. weren't going to be disappointed. So I often. guess we should talk about what the, like the, the mission statement of this book was the Marauders are mm-hmm. set up to be kind of the, not the above the board trading of the mutant drugs, but like getting these mutant meds into places where- A black market, the, yeah. Yeah, where the governments didn't want them to be. So the two things, you want to get the drugs out, you know, the good drugs, of course, mm-hmm. out into the places where they're needed and they have trouble getting them the regular way, and also to help bring home- mutants Refugees. who have trouble getting to the gates yeah right if they're in in russia or other places where the government or other people are preventing them from you know exercising their right to go to Krakoa, kate and her crew are going to head out and help them get home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh, one of the early uh one of the early things in this story was the fact that uh, kitty couldn't go through the Krakoan gates which I think they kind of forgot about that storyline. Maybe it'll come back. Yeah. Uh, so the the two, so she was kind of set up to kind of put a little problem, a little question mark in the whole Krakoan things are different now, right? Because we learned on yeah. Krakoa, you can resurrect dead mutants mm-hmm. and they can just go through these gates and live in Krakoa. So I think right in episode, in issue number one, she tries to go through one of the gates. She breaks her and nose. It's just, she breaks yeah. her nose. It's completely solid to her. Mm-hmm. It's not even like, humans like regular humans can go through the gates if they're kind of like accompanied by a mutant and they have like the permission of Krakoa something like that so Mm -hmm. humans can use the gates with like training wheels Kate just excluded completely completely she can't go in so then they were always worried about well she can't move around the way everyone else can so it kind of made sense for her to be on a ship because now she can travel on a ship she didn't feel completely at home on Krakoa Mm -hmm. she didn't feel so welcome she felt kind of like the island was excluding her which sure understandable so it also raised into question whether or not she was actually a mutant which this isn't the first time that we've questioned whether or not Kitty's a mutant Uh, Mm -hmm. it's been uh, it's been called under it's been called under you know question before um uh, during the second Claremont run, it was uh, rumored that she was, uh, well, we talked, I think we mentioned the Neo last time, didn't we? We did. We did. We did. Uh, it was rumored that she was actually a Neo, which is still a mutant, but not really. Or It's the, what humans, what mutants are to humans, the Neo are to mutants. So maybe a whole different plane of mutant reality or they never really got fleshed out because they sucked. So yeah, let's, let's hope those don't come back. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it was question about like, exactly what she was so yeah she felt kind of on the side and i guess if you're if you're on krakoa people are going through gates all the time and you always got to take the long way around you know you're gonna you're gonna feel a little you're gonna get a chill a on your shoulder, shoulder. For, sure. for sure for sure so she it made sense for her to go around and kind of she was always more into like interacting with the rest of the world too so she wasn't mm-hmm. as 
Krakoa brain. Like some people just want to stay in Krakoa and this is our new place now. Yeah. She was more interacting with the rest of the world. Absolutely. And I think Absolutely. a lot of this book is the story of her, I'm not going to say growing up, but trying to demonstrate that she's grown up, which is different. For sure. Right. Yeah, so she wants to show that, yeah. she can be the cap, you know, she's the captain now mm-hmm. and she can be in charge of things and she's not. That's when she says she, you know, she wants to be called Kate. She doesn't want to be called Kitty anymore. Yeah. I guess it sounds too much like a little kid and she wants to be the grown up mm-hmm. Kate. And we see, uh, like a lot of the books at this time, she was either drinking a lot or at least acting like she was drinking a lot. Yeah. She was kind of being more violent than one would expect of the old Kitty Pride to be, you Brutal. know, yeah. phasing objects into people and then letting go. And then, you know, like a gun be phased through somebody's leg and just be pretty horrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is actually something that I took a lot of... Uh... I questioned a lot of when I first read it because it felt like they were trying way too hard to uh, not not only just harden Kitty, but the Marauder characters in general. Like even Iceman was acting uncharacteristically brutal. Like he'd be freezing limbs and punching them and shattering arms on characters. And it's like, what the hell are they doing here? It just seemed very out of character for 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 Bobby, especially when Bobby's a character I don't think very many people have a handle on to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to this uh, very day, every time we see Bobby, it's his story is basically, hey, here's this really powerful mutant who hasn't lived up to his potential yet. So let's watch him try. And it's like, well, we saw that last time. Well, we saw that the time before that. And we're still seeing it now. Yeah, it, it's kind of the, the Aquaman Aquaman story where every writer has to show, oh, you, you think he's a joke, or, or, he's not or, a joke. Or, right. yeah. and, <laughs> and once you keep saying that so many times, it's kind of... It kind of under exactly, exactly. So, yeah, Kitty's acting out. She's getting she's getting her knuckles tattooed. Which uh, I mean, we can we can go into whole like you know philosophical stuff yeah, about that. But every we, time yeah. she gets knuckle tattoos, she then makes out with a tattoo artist. First, <laughs> it's a guy. Like it. The second, time, both yeah. times, this both like she guess that she has a type, and they're yeah. tattoo artists. Yeah. So the first time she gets hold fast tattooed on her knuckles, which is an old sailor thing. Apparently the idea was if you get that tattooed on your hands, you're better able to pull on the ropes, you'll have a better, better grip on the, on the ropes. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's again, reinforcing the whole yar. I'm a, I'm a pirate. pirate. (laughs) (laughs) So hold fast. Yeah. Uh, The second time it was still sure, but we'll get to that. Yeah. That's still down the road. And so, The other thing that happens to her is she gets put on the quiet council. Emma Mm -hmm. wants another one of her, someone she can trust on the quiet council. And she manages to make Kitty the red queen of hellfire in core industries or however they're calling it nowadays. Yep. Which gets it. So she's got a high up position in hellfire trading company and Mm -hmm. also on the quiet council. And this makes Shaw really mad because Mm -hmm. he wanted to get his newly resurrected son on the quiet council. This sets up, the antagonism between Shaw on one side and Kitty, Kitty and slash Kate and Emma yeah. on the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now to further along the question of whether or not Kitty's actually a mutant in the sixth issue of Marauder, I believe it's the sixth issue, uh, Sebastian Shaw manages to uh, drown her, kills her. And mm-hmm. uh, they spend the next several issues in, you know, vignette form trying to resurrect her, but they can't. 
Yes, and it was actually kind of dramatic. Like, I mean, I guess we always knew she was going to come back, but they strung yeah. it along a lot longer than, for instance, you know, uh, Professor X remained dead. No, for sure. He was, for he sure. was gone and back right away. And they actually made it yeah. seem like, well, maybe she's not coming back. I think it was, yeah, I think it was she dies at the end of issue six mm. and she comes back at the very end of issue 11. Yeah, so right before. A, a good stretch ends. of time there. But they, I mean, I, I mean, we, this is comics of current year. So, uh, you know, Marvel is really good about spoiling upcoming covers and upcoming yeah. storylines. So it's like, oh, Kitty's dead. Oh, wait, she's on the cover of three issues. Okay, okay, never mind. It's uh, it is what yeah, it so is. So the way they they resolved that was they said that so the 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 uh, the five you know the ones who do, do the resurrection thing mm-hmm. they kept making new kitties but they were never they never actually came out of the egg yeah so there was never a moment where you could then put the mind slash maybe soul but don't think about it too hard back into the kind of blank husk of a person mm-hmm. and the way they resolved it was a little hand wavy. But I, I, be, I believe that this was set up for the beginning. I don't think they made this up at the end. I think the idea always was this, that yeah. it has to do with Kate's mutant power. That sure. She phases through things. So instead of, you know, breaking out of an egg the way all the other mutants did, she had to be like assisted to phase, phase out of the egg. Yeah. And once they did that, she was back again. And oh, okay, now resurrection works for her. We don't have to worry so much about, oh, she's eligible to, die permanently unlike everybody else because we don't know if it's going to work we know it's going to work for her we just got to do it a little differently yeah it's just a different uh different method to it it's i I definitely think that they had um they planned this still doesn't make it a satisfying read not not incredibly no No. i think that the antagonism between her and shaw was fun to watch it was that he's you know he's a, a brutal guy uh, he's he has his own interest, and it was mm-hmm. good to see an actual villain in an X book for a while. Yeah, we don't get very many of those. No, anymore, you could we? see people working at cross purpose, but he was like a flat out. I want to be in charge of things, and I'm willing to kill you, probably permanently. I don't really care in order to get that. So sure. we see uh, he like hides on the ship, and he manages to create an, uh, a reason for all the other Marauders to have to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. they're gone. He uh, he pops up on the ship. He shoots a net at uh, Lockheed, the yep. cute little dragon. So we know he's a villain if he's attacking Lockheed. Can't and he tangles Kate, uh, Kate up in some Krakoan vines, and she just drowns right there in the ocean, mm-hmm. pretty brutally. Yeah, it, absolutely, absolutely. And um, it, it was really well done. It was actually, you know, I, I think a lot of us, uh, you know, readers of, of my vintage will uh, complain about the six issue structure of uh, of current year comics. But this was actually one that built up. OK, you know, um, you could read any of these six issues and feel like you were getting a legitimate chapter of a story, not just a not just part four of six. You were getting a story, but there were. It was almost Claremontian in a way where there were subplots that were building upon each other. Um, we had questions about uh, our favorite place in the world, Madripoor. I mean, Mad- Madripoor sucks <laughs> the way they do it now. <laughs> uh, Madripoor was really cool when we saw it like once every four years. Now we see it once every three days. It's not as pleasant anymore, not as novel. But we had stories about Madripoor. We had stories about the gates. We had stories about the individual members of the cast. 
We had uh, the executioner shows up. Uh, Yellow Jacket smuggles himself onto Krakoa. That was a that was a fun little plotline. That was mm-hmm. the group of like evil little kids. They were the yeah. Omenes Verendi. Oh yeah, the Hellfire Tots. Omenes Hellfire Tots. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the way they were going to do they uh, they tagged Yellow Jacket in this fight with mm-hmm. these you know crazy cartoony bad guys, the executioner and the hate monger. Hate monger One yeah. of them is actually like a reincarnated Hitler. I forget which is which. It doesn't really matter. Hate monger. They, hate monger hate is. Hate. They yeah. were just, they, they were supposed to fight the marauders and kind of poke somebody. I think they were going for Kate, but they poked uh, Yellow sure. Jacket yeah. with uh, this thing that injected a tiny shrunken down Yellow Jacket, mm-hmm. who was like an Ant-Man kind of situation. He, he can shrink yeah. things. And he's in the submarine. One of, uh, it's one of Ant-Man's old uh, identities too. Okay, great. And uh, so he's hiding inside Yellow Jacket. Was it Pyro? Uh, or inside Fish? Pyro. Inside Pyro. Pyro sorry. Yeah. So Yellow Jacket inside Pyro. And it's like Fantastic Voyage. He's kind of wandering around inside the body. And he managed mm-hmm. to get himself up to a place where he can like see what he's looking at and hear things. And because he's inside a mutant, he can go through the gates with the mutant and he can hang out on Krakoa. And at least for the purpose of this story, no one's scanning closely enough to realize this is happening. Yeah. So he's able to send reports back to the, the hellfire tots. And they're just, I think they're just selling this information to of course the Russians mm-hmm. and anybody else who wants to keep tab wants on, to pay. Yeah. on what these mutants are up to these days. For sure. For sure. That, that was one of the issues. It was a lot of fun to read, but at the same time, it kind of underscored one of the bigger problems with this entire era in that um, Emma Frost did some sort of mental hoodoo on Yellow Jacket, which made him think he made him see what he think what she thought he wanted to see, which is basically yes. killing the entire team. Basically, you know, he killed yeah, Emma, he killed Bishop and Marvel Girl was going to be all was going to be like, well, first, first it was like, they they kind of they she put the hoodoo on pyro mm-hmm. and then the pyro was kind of brought in on it and then they did it on yellow jacket so they could yeah they could make him think that he was killing killing everybody, everybody. and but then they uh yeah, they the made they made is- him they made him come out and embiggen himself again mm-hmm. and then they kind of just there was a, a moment where they thought oh are they just going to kill him now yeah. But they actually brought those Krakoan laws back up. Yeah, we can't actually kill them. So they just kind of shoot them back across the ocean. They jettison them. But uh, like in the interim of the uh, the reveal and him thinking he killed everybody, there was like no tension there. Because uh, sure, he could kill Emma Frost. He could kill Bishop. He could kill Pyro. And they'd be back in five seconds. Mm-hmm. So I think that totally underscored it did, the but it, entire it, thing. At least for me, it, it made me believe that it wasn't an illusion right well, if that's, this had that's happened, a problem if this, if this had happened in in regular you know back at old times where if you see one character just kill everybody i as a no reader right is going to know well that's not really happening in the book that's that's stupid that can't possibly happen mm-hmm. but now it can because they could bring everybody back but yeah, i wasn't. think that was kind of that that was my main problem with it it was like i didn't there was no suspension of disbelief there it's like oh okay well he killed them and they'll be back okay it just it kind of fell flat for me okay. it uh, kind of underscored a lot of the bigger problems with this entire era but um yeah that was uh i'm trying to think is there anything else before ex of swords that uh, Marauders brought to the table. Uh, I think we saw Forge a few times, and he has a kind of a n- new persona. He's kind of this, I can build anything, Uncle but Hinchock. he's very 
Yeah. He's like a very bro, very let's all do push-ups and show yeah. off how strong we are and yeah, dude bro. Yeah, very, very chuckle-heady. Um, one thing about um, Marauders, uh, this is back when Jerry Duggan could write funny. I yeah. don't think he can write funny anymore, or not not as funny anymore. Uh, he was actually very, very funny. And up until X of Swords, we had a pretty good ensemble cast, just that Duggan forgot about them after that. Uh, I, this was such a solid book to the point where any kind of lapse in solidness was noticeable mm-hmm. and i feel like after excess swords which we'll get to you know eventually i feel like this definitely suffered during the second half or the i guess we would say the destiny of x or not destiny of x reign of x era mm-hmm. i feel like it was kind of an afterthought it yeah kind it of became the like demo book. At, at the meeting where they set everything up they had this big idea for oh let's do this arc with with kate and mm-hmm she can't use the gates and maybe she'll die and she'll come back. And that was kind of like all they had set up. It felt like, and after that, well, what are we going to do next? It's like, Hey, we've, have we done that Emma Frost story where she's the coolest person in the room? Well, yeah, we did that two weeks ago. Ah, We'll do it again. It it is clear that all, all the writers want to show off just how, how cool they think Emma is. I mean, she's a cool character, but you know, we have eight zillion mutants. Let's, let's spread the love around a little bit. Yeah. And, and I mean, there is a, you know, the whole, uh, you know, protesting too much, which which brings us to Excalibur, I think. Which uh, <laughs> the is, only thing uh, I want to say before we leave Marauders is that what do we think might be relevant from Marauders to our crossover, to our accidents? Um, Anything? I see there is a Marauders tie-in book in it. Marauders number six mm-hmm. is going to be part of the crossover. Again, how much it's actually knows, relevant? Yeah. Who the hell knows? Be, yeah, I think be a maybe. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I think anything involving uh, Kate is going to be, if you want to know what where Kate's coming from, where she is, this is the book to read through. At least, again, these first 12 issues should be plenty to give you the yeah. idea of, here's the new status quo for, for Kitty Pride. Because I think she actually kind of just took a backseat after that. I mean, they brought her back right before X of Swords. She had zero part in that. Oh, yeah. You know, she had nothing to do with that. Uh, there was the revenge arc with Shaw. Um then it was like all Emma all the yeah, time. I guess, I guess the revenge thing where now Kate and Emma kind of have Shaw in their back pocket still. Yeah. Where they, yeah the, they, the I, that was another issue. really brutal scene yeah. where the two of them just beat the snot out of Shaw and wouldn't even let him resurrect himself to yeah. get his, his body back. He was in a wheelchair. It was, it was pretty, was pretty horrible. For a while, yeah. yeah. But we'll, we'll get to that at the other end. So he still, he still wants to get his revenge on them. So I guess mm-hmm. that's still out there lurking. So yeah. the yeah. next book is Excalibur. Everybody's favorite. By Teeny Howard. Mm-hmm. And uh, who is the artist on this one? Um, boy, it's a great artist. It's, it's, this is one of the prettier books that's going. What the hell is his name? I've probably written his name a million times. Marcus Toe? Marcus Toe, yes. A beautiful, beautiful book. Um, just uh, Toe does, I, I think it's Toe. It might be two. I don't know. But uh, does gorgeous faces. Absolutely gorgeous faces. Um, Indeed. And uh, almost makes the book worth looking at. Almost. Uh, because it's not a great book, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it wasn't so much for me. I had trouble following it sometimes, and I wasn't sure how much of that was me not knowing the characters and how much of that was the book itself having problems. The book didn't have much... Du- I mean, there was a direction there. But, uh, you know, we talk about connective tissue. This was just 
actually we talked about connective tissue off the air. Sorry, folks. Um, <laughs> this is a this is just like scenes that I think the creative wanted to put in there and didn't really care whether or not we like got there. You know, uh, you talk about building a house and, mm-hmm. you know, we can build a house. We can put up four walls. It looks like a house, but a stiff wind comes and knocks it down because you didn't build a foundation. Yeah, a, a lot of it felt like scenes from a role-playing game. Very much. Party. Very where much. It's a lot of fun. I guess there are podcasts where people just listen to other people play role-playing like games. Which, I believe yeah, it. Which is not my thing, but I mean, if you're part of the game, that's fascinating. But for, for me, sure. watching other people play that game... I'm just not invested in it. Yeah, not much to it there. But uh, that's a very good descriptor of Excalibur. I might be projecting, but it feels like uh, Teeny wanted to be writing fantasy. And that is, I think she's written other books outside of the X books where that is her wheelhouse. Okay, that's perfectly fine. And, uh, you know, I'm not qualified to speak on how good a writer she is in that realm because fantasy books have never, I mean, outside of ElfQuest, which is odd because ElfQuest brought me into the fandom and it's very high fantasy, mm-hmm, but uh, mm-hmm. outside of ElfQuest, I can't glom on to really any fantasy. I've tried Conan, doesn't do it for me. Red Sonia doesn't do it for me. Even like uh, you know DC's Warlord, as much as I want to like something like that, it just doesn't speak to me. And um, Excalibur... It was very much in that mold where it was, uh, you know, I think uh, I think the books can be a little too Krakoa-centric. So anytime we get off Krakoa, it's a little bit of a, you know, refresher. Make the world but, bigger. It's fresh. Yeah. But when we leave Krakoa to go to friggin' Otherworld, eh. Yeah, that, most of this book tends to take place in Otherworld. So to, to just give the big picture, this is really the Betsy Braddock book in my mind. Oh, 100%. Right, 100%. so she is the brother of the old Captain Britain, Brian Braddock, mm-hmm. and they have this other crazy, super powerful brother, what's his that name weirdo again? weirdo Jamie Braddock. The weirdo Jamie Braddock, right, who has one of those kind of vague reality, reality warping kind of powers. Yeah. So super powerful, can kind of do whatever the writer whatever needs Whatever they to need do. him to do. Right. For sure, for sure. So the thing that kicks this off is... Uh, Brian losing the Captain Britain mantle and Betsy gaining it. Yes. And a lot of the rest of the book is Betsy having to prove over and over again that she deserves to still have it. And, you know, uh, it's way, way, way too much of that. I I mentioned, you know, protesting too much here. Every single issue of this book was like Betsy Very defensive. Yeah, I'm Captain Britain now. It uh, reminds me of like going to uh, a Burger King while I was a teenager and having the new manager on duty tell everybody that she was the new manager constantly. And it's like, if you have to keep telling people you're in charge, yay. It's not, it's not helping. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So now if- this was an important book early on because we knew we were going to X of Swords. X of Swords sure. was set up in Hawksbox. From the get And we knew that it was tied up with Otherworld somehow. So we knew this book was important for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is where we see them going to Otherworld, and this is where they set up the foul and fair the, kingdoms, right, the, the different kingdoms, and where we meet uh, Saturnine, who I guess was an established character, right? She's, she's been, been around, around a long forever. time. Yeah, she's been around since the uh, Captain Britain UK books. Yeah, she's been around for a bit. And uh, you know, archetype the- of like the fairy queen. Where she has her own ways, her own machinations, but we we as mortals can't really understand 
what she's trying to do. It's supposed to be kind of strange and weird and in yeah. the in the old old meaning of the word queer. Yeah. That that kind of stuff. And she and she's drawn to look exactly like Emma Frost. So when you see her, you're gonna <laughs> it think, was difficult. Wait a sometimes <laughs> sometimes it was hard to tell. Yeah. If there's a dragon <laughs> in the background, it's probably Saturnine. That's Hopefully. all you know. Right. Hopefully. <laughs> Unless it's Lockheed, I suppose. But um yeah, the uh the foul and fair kingdoms here, vaguely interesting from a world building perspective. Um, but it also kind of reminds me. I'm sure anybody listening is familiar with uh, Marvel What If. Uh, that's like a thing now. I mean, they, they have a stupid Disney Plus show about it, right? Isn't isn't there a What If show? Oh, there is. Yeah, okay. at least it was. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so we, we exploit the crap out of that. Uh, but there was a comic book. Believe it or not, some of these Disney Plus shows are based on comic books. And so there was a What If comic book back in the long ago. Ran for a long, long time. There were a couple of volumes of it. And the way they started was basically asking the question, what if such and such happened? And it was interesting to go through and as, you know, probably as a writer study, an artist study and a reader study, you know, we're seeing all this stuff that flies in the face of what we think happened or what we what we know happened, I should say. But then it got to the point where it's like, what if Peter Parker forgot to have breakfast this day and suddenly the world ends? It's like, huh? Right. It, it was just different flavors of crap. And that's kind of what the uh, these fair and foul kingdoms are. It's like, well, here's a fantasy mm-hmm. world with vampires. Here's yeah. a fantasy world with zombies. I think at least for me, it read again, like, not just like D&D, but like a D&D source book. Big time. Like, but here's, a lazy here's, one. Like, here's all these things that if you want to make your own story about, here's mm-hmm. like a framework to do it in. Yeah. But it was, it was all framework and no story. Basically. Basically. Because... Well, frankly, the a lot of these a lot of these kingdoms were not interesting enough to have a story told about them, because they were just. I mean, it goes back to the to the Hickman problem, where it's like I'm going to introduce a bunch of characters that are going to be vaguely unique, vaguely cool, and they're going to have neat names. Do we care about them? No, no. It's like, oh, here's this antler-headed alien. Care about him? Make me care about him. Mm-hmm. Here's ten new characters here. They're all going to hold a sword. Care about all of them. Why am I going to care about the lizard man? Why am I going to care about the Anubis guy? Make me care about them. Mm-hmm. So we get the we get like the baby's first Grant Morrison's multiversity map here. It's like circles. Here, here's the fair and foul kingdoms. Care about them. Well, you got to make us care about them. You got to do something yeah, so to make these interesting. What is it that people should know about Excalibur? We know it's it involves Otherworld where Saturnine's in charge of things and mm-hmm. she has her weird goals. She... Mm-hmm. She seems to want her old Captain Britain back. She wants Betsy's she wants, beautiful blonde British brother Brian back. Right. So she is very much part of the whole, you're not the real Captain Britain mm-hmm. idea. She wants Brian back. So this is all going to come back in X of Tens, yep. X of Swords. Uh, but X of Tens is, is Yeah. Is there anything else that people really need to know about this book? Yes. Uh, Apocalypse. Oh, uh, yes. Large in this one. Uh, this is where he takes the name A. He wanted... Uh, we don't know how it's pronounced. That's how humans pronounce Krakow. Right. It, it, it's some weird, weird looking capital A with some squiggles with, and yeah, tillies around it. Yeah, yeah, with brackets. And it's interesting. But um, he, his, again, he wants to separate himself from his, his human given name. He wants to use a mutant name. So yeah. he makes his name look all mutanty. All mutanty, yeah. So he is uh, getting into magic. This book is very, very deep in magic. Um, we also have Richter uh, from you know New Mutants X Force, uh, Richter uh, X Factor later years, and he mm-hmm. is having problems controlling his seismic powers. So he is a 
kind of rescued from mundanity or mundanity by Apocalypse and taken under his wing and shown the ways of magic. He's another character I always get mentally confused with kind of the DC version of the, the guy who can move Earth around. Vibe? Or no, Geoforce? Uh, Geoforce. Geoforce. Because okay. he's, he's popped up recently in, uh, in some Batman stuff. So he's, he's very much he was top of mind now. Yeah. He was an outsider. Yeah. His sister was involved Tara. in the whole uh, Teen Titans, Judas contract yeah. thing there. So, yeah. So, so this is not, this is not, uh, not him. This is not Geoforce. Geoforce yeah. It is kind of like Geoforce. Again, in my not having guy. read so many comics guy, you know, the two earth moving guys, oh, they're just the same guy, but no, they're not. May as well be. May as well be. Uh, May as well be. So he but, uh, gets, yeah, he gets kind of as an acolyte of apocalypse on the magic side of things and he becomes like a he becomes like, like a, a druid, druid. Yeah. yeah a druid and this is I, I, over on xlabs i have a, a few listeners from uh I, I don't know if we call it england uh britain or the uk i call them all three and i'm, I'm sure i'm wrong all three times but uh i guess it's a it's a rule for uh for folks from over there not to tell us you know dumb americans which one we want to use so i'm sure i always get it wrong but uh, they, they took great offense to the fact that like uh, Teeny Howard's approximation of their homeland was druids on every corner, <laughs> a magical sorcerer in parliament. Anytime it, you're there, you see Big Ben in the background. Of course. No it, matter it, where in the country you are. Right? It's, One of those it's things. the way it works, right? I mean, the statue, I can see the Statue of Liberty from here in Arizona. It's just <laughs> the way it goes. But yeah, it's um, a yeah, hmm. apocalypse's story is mildly interesting yeah uh, gambit rogue and jubilee are part of the team as well uh rogue right. is put to a, a coma like right away um i don't remember exactly how but she is ko'd for several issues until she comes back uh apocalypse dies he uh he sacrifices himself that's right he kind of taunts someone into killing him right yeah something like that but then he is brought back immediately and this is when, I mean, because they the need Im- to use his bones and the bones of the other externals, externals to build the gate. Right. Because the gate needs to be powered. This gate needs to be super duper powered to get mm-hmm. to other world. So he, want, he wants to build this gate between the two worlds because this is all part of his, I want to get my family back situation. Yeah, I want to get the island back together. I want to get the family back. But when he dies and is brought back, this is kind of what opens uh, Magneto and Professor X's eyes to the fact that Excalibur is even a thing in the first place. Like they know that there are, you know, people running around. They know that Betsy's dressing like Captain Britain now, but they don't really know the goal of this team. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I will give uh, Teeny credit for is the interpersonals between the characters has been quite solid when, when she's actually done okay. it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, all the Betsy Kvetchen aside where, I mean, every time we see her, we're reminded that she and Quanon shared a body and yada, yada, yada. And that, oh, I am Captain Britain now. You will call me Captain Britain. I will constantly prove that I'm Captain Britain, despite the fact that I'm not really proving a whole lot of anything. The interpersonals are pretty good. You know, Um, Betsy acting, you know, doing what she's doing for Apocalypse because I guess it's easier just to play along than than fight it. And maybe Mm -hmm. she thinks that there is... I mean, she obviously sees value in other worlds since she is the representative, you know, the 616 is representative of other world at this point. Right. The, uh, a lot of trust, a lot of distrust, a lot of going along, uh, you know, not to make waves, a lot of uh, shady underhanded kind of stuff that 
maybe comes back later on, uh, or at least it calls Betsy's character into question uh, insofar as being completely honest and truthful with the Quiet Council. It does come back around, but I mean, the Quiet Council is not very you know truth- truthful themselves. It, that kind of stuff was kind of interesting. There was a, a two-part break from Otherworld, which I loved. Um, it, the War Wolves. Yeah, it had the team on a, uh, like doing a, like a fox hunt uh, in, on uh, Cullen Bloodstone's lawn, uh, searching for War Wolves, because they were part of the apocalypse plan. Yeah, there's like an ingredient for a spell or something. Something like that, yeah. But it was, uh, it was fun because we got to see these characters who, I mean... Gambit, Rogue, and Jubilee don't belong anywhere near Otherworld. They really just don't. Um, so we get to see them act more like themselves. Uh, Betsy, I, I mean, I don't think she belongs. I don't. I don't think anybody belongs in Otherworld. I think we should. We should really just put bricks over that mm-hmm. <laughs> over that gateway and uh, and Jubilee. Yeah, it was it was kind of for much of the first part of Dawn of X. They kept saying, "Oh, maybe we should just blow up that gate." And yeah, me and, as a reader was saying, "Yes, blow up the gate." Yes. But no, they never blew up the gate. So to it. to wrap up Excalibur. Read this book if you want to see how we lead into X of Swords. Mm-hmm. Read this book if you want to see Apocalypse in his learning to do magic and what he's trying to accomplish situation. Read this book if you're really interested to see what X-Men in a Dungeons and Dragons world would look like. <laughs> Other than that, Skip probably it. not super relevant to what's coming up. I can't imagine that the Eternals are going to be connected to other worlds oh god, god, god don't, don't even don't even i'm put sorry that i even universe. said that out loud don't even okay, put that so out there that's that's excalibur that's next excalibur. we'll go on to new mutants volume four mm-hmm. mostly written by ed brisson with a little hickman there at the beginning because he had his own kind of mini arc mixed in but mostly an ed brisson thing yeah i think it was uh i think it was five hickman seven brissons i think but this was a this was kind of an interesting one because this one this one felt like probably the most comfortable um, early on for me as a you know longtime tenured ex reader because it had characters I could recognize acting in a way that I could recognize. This was the original New Mutants or a grip of the original New Mutants out on a space adventure, and um, very neat that they actually included a couple of uh, Generation X characters here. Generation X, for folks who don't know, because Marvel doesn't really talk about Generation X all that often, it was kind of the 90s follow-up. I mean, you can tell by the name, Generation X. It's They actually called the team that, which is ridiculous. But endearing. Uh, I, I guess once there was a concept in the wider world called Gen X, it was inevitable that Marvel was going to use it. Yeah, and, and actually they were almost beaten to the punch by, uh, by Image Comics. Uh, Gen 13 was originally called Gen X. Oh, did not know that. Yeah, and they actually had promotional material out, ads. They all said Gen X, and uh, Marvel said, no, no, no. <laughs> you it's can't not an X that. in it. We own yeah. everything with an we X in it. We own every sort of permutation that has an X. And uh, <laughs> so they changed to Gen 13, which is basically gen x anyway because uh generation x is like the 13th generation of modern times or whatever so okay same thing you know uh, you know x equals 10 x equal also equals 13 i guess mm-hmm. but um yeah so generation x was a a really fun team for me because uh, they were my age they were my peers my cohorts in uh in you know in age okay. i was i was 14 years old when it came out these characters were all around 13 14 15 years old so they were my people mm. 
and we had um, Chamber and Mondo. Mondo is a weird one. Mondo was not really a part of Generation X, but I I can't assume that anybody writing or reading X-Men comics now knows anything about that, so I won't even go into it. But Chamber was there. Chamber was definitely a member of Generation X. He was briefly brought up to the X-Men and then put back in his place. Uh, he was a graduate, but uh, didn't work out so well. In, in the late 90s, uh, graduates into the X-Men didn't really stick quite the way they do now. Mm-hmm. But... um. Really fun story. It had a, it was a heist story basically, right? It was uh, they were with yeah, the well, this was our jammers. This was as a new reader. It was this one was harder for me to get into because there was a whole bunch of new characters that had their own kind of dynamic, and it had a kind of a, a silly, don't take us too seriously feel to it. Fourth wall took, break in. A yeah, bit, in it took a way me a couple was... couple issues of that for me to really get into and say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm part of this. I kind of felt excluded at the beginning. Like, Oh, I can see that. This isn't my thing. I can see I think that. It brought me in. So like, uh, Oh, sunspot. What's his actual Bobby name? DeCosta. Bobby DeCosta. He's an interesting character. Super. He's like a, a rich chase. guy, yeah. super ego, but kind of humble in a way. Yeah. I'm not sure. Is that that, that back and forth? He's self-deprecating, but in a way mm-hmm. that he's just trying to make himself look like he's self-deprecating because he thinks it'll make him be better. More relatable and yeah, yeah. he so he's always making money off everything. Every Mm -hmm. time he does anything, he comes out richer on the other end. For sure, he thinks he's God's gift to every species of woman out there, bird women, human women. Right. So it took me a while to see the humor in him in in an okay kind of endearing kind of way, but it it got me there. It's kind of like a distillation of uh, the character of Bobby DaCosta. I think that's a Hickmanism from when he like shoehorned Cannonball and Sunspot into the Avengers uh, okay. back during like the Infinity Era or you know pre uh, Secret Wars twenty fifteen. Hmm. I, I didn't know that Sunspot on the Avengers would be interesting dynamic. He was actually uh, yeah because he took the role of Citizen V, which is a Golden Age character, uh, which. It was a, a name that was taken by several different characters over the years. Uh, Baron Zemo posed okay. as him for the launch of oh, the Thunderbolts. I think that was referenced at least once in New Mutants. I think so, because he was so the leader that's what of that the was. US I don't know. I had no Avengers. idea what that was. Yeah, he was the leader of the U.S. Avengers, which was part of the glut of Avengers books that actually finally got me to pull the plug on my Avengers completionism. It's like, mm-hmm. here's Occupy Avengers. Here's this event. It's like, come on, stop. Please, just stop it. So we get these characters kind of going out, and they're accompanying uh, Star Jammers. The Star Jammers, right? Who was this? The Summers' father and weird yeah, alien Summer. connections, yeah. kind That's of space the, pirates. Uh, and this is where they end up stealing the King Egg that the Bruity. right? That the, so this is the one that the King Egg ends up coming back to. We talked about last time on the regular X Men book that kicks off that brood stuff. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And so then we get that, and then we come back to Earth, and then it's really about, I think the theme is like, where do these young characters fit in on Krakoa? What what do they have to do? I mean, they're not going off to college. They don't really have a job. Mm-mm. So what does it mean to be young on Krakoa, and what is your purpose? And boy, it was jarring when we got here, though, because uh, I think uh, Hickman kind of loaded his plate a little too heavy. At the start of this. Mm-hmm. So we had like three issues of this uh, classic New Mutant space jaunt. And then we were just like on the farm. Like a new story just started without the other one ending. 
And yes, it, it felt like two completely separate series. It was. That was yeah. published in like alternate months with the same title on the front, yeah. but there was but no communication no between them. Yeah, it's like we had this story with uh, Armor, uh, one of the uh, Joss Whedon characters. So, of course, we have to say she's better than the rest because Joss Whedon, I suppose. Um, a, a little snark there, I suppose. But um, but she oh, was wow. uh, yeah, she, she was uh, leading a crew to uh, Beak, Beak's farm, the Bohusk farm. Now, uh, Beak and uh, Angel Salvador were uh, Grant Morrison characters, part of the special class that uh, Zorn taught over in New X-Men back around the turn of the century, maybe 2001, 2002. And they got together and they had some uh, fly babies. Uh, Angel Salvador, uh, they, they, they brought her in calling her Angel just to confuse all of us because we have an angel already. Um, but her wings were fly wings. So she was a little bit more, hmm. she was a little less angelic. Her name mm-hmm. literally was, you know, it was Angel, her birth name, her government name. So they just called her Angel. And uh, she was like a tough, uh, you know, street tough kind of kid and fell for the bird-headed kid beak. And they moved to the, the farm in Nebraska. And uh, then anti-mutant people came and tried to kill everybody. And this was the introduction of a theme, or not a theme, but a concept from the early days here called uh, DOX, D-O-X, which was a basically the National Enquirer for mutants, or like a TMZ, I suppose, yeah. for mutants. Sure. And it Bleeding was something cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically. And it was something that immediately caught my imagination because I thought it was I thought it was a very interesting story that could be told here. We've got like uh mutants are this suddenly this very, very powerful race on the planet, a a, a real straw that stirs the drink, and it would stand to reason that there would be some, you know, muckrakers out there. There'd be people who were either super fans. We've seen cultists who were really, really into the X-Men and really, really into mutant culture. It would stand to reason that there would be deterrence as well, trying to, you know, act as paparazzi and uh, just really stirring the uh, stirring the crap. And that was Docs. And, I mean, Docs, we know Docs in the internet lingo as something very similar to that. So, you know, you're, you're giving away people's information, stuff like that. So very interesting. But uh, kind of fell flat. Do you remember how that all played out? <laughs> I remember it being set up. I don't remember it ending very well. It didn't end very well at all. It had like magic basically went to Dox's office and threatened everybody. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Magic's yeah, another another character who is, I think, a lot like Emma, where she has to be shown to be the always the coolest, baddest character around. And, and that's you know. another one that's kind of a distillation. Where like that was one of my main uh, you know bugbears about the space story is that like you know we had we had Emma there not Emma we had Magic there and she'd be like facing off against an alien and she's like I don't know if I want to f you or ki- or kill you and it's like what mm-hmm. why, why why are you talking that way <laughs> you really shouldn't be but that's just been her character now her character is like this like two dimensional I'm going to kill you or f you sort of character and it's a shame it's a it's a real shame but uh that's the way we make comics in current year i suppose okay so we had that and then we had this is where vita ayala came in right of following exosorts yes okay so yeah, yeah that's when it, when it came in and i mean might as well mention that now because we don't have a whole lot else to say about new mutants mm-hmm. is that she 
she brought in well was it with her that brought in Cosmar or did Cosmar come in before Cosmar was a Cosmar was a Brisson character okay uh, so Cosmar was... is a character who's actually kind of becoming not a main main character but more of a main character than a lot of the new she's the no new, longer really Walter characters yeah, right she's no longer Walter so Hertz thing was she was in Russia correct that's where they yes. rescued her from Russia or Ukraine somewhere around there right yeah. Uh, and uh, she's another one of those. Uh, reality, reality warpers. warpers and she couldn't control her power and and it was just doing all sorts of bad stuff to people around her because she couldn't stop making the whole world go it's all kind of screwy mm-hmm. and she even like messed up her own physical body so she the has body. this very misshapen face a, a very strange look to her so they do a mirror yeah yeah they do eventually kind of help her control herself and she comes back to Krakoa to live on mm-hmm. Krakoa and uh, a lot of the theme here is that we have a group of young mutants who look weird. I, yeah. To me, they, they really felt almost like a new version of the Morlocks. Very Morlockian. Mm-hmm. Where we have, they're mutants, everyone agrees they're mutants, but they don't, they can't pass as, either. they can't either pass or look better than regular humans, right? A mm-hmm. lot of mutants, either they can look completely human or yeah. you know they're not looking human but they have these gorgeous wings on their back so mm-hmm. you know they're very aesthetic so, yeah. right very aesthetic and these these uh these kids not so much it was like no girl was one of them yeah uh, um, rain rain boy rain boy anole um it was uh, th- right. that was they were they were really brought in post uh post exorcism yes but she so became that, part of that group she yeah i, I called them the uh, the shadow kings irregulars yes and then we get to the whole the yeah that shadow king story which is still going on it's not still no going it, on, it, it they wrapped like, it up yeah it feels and like it one, went on once vita ayala came in the dialogue became to me very very group therapy like very if preachy, if yeah. uh if Excalibur was like watching people play D and D. This was like watching people go to group therapy with each other. Which again, and if you're part of it and it's important to you, hey, good for you. But I didn't find it compelling as a fictional and, narrative. To and if you if you read. have any kind of uh, any kind of psych experience, it'll drive you insane because it's, oh, okay. it's another uh, another distillation, another very very convenient. I, I, uh, I can't apply those concepts directly to my own life. No, it's it's very hmm, very very. Uh, Inch deep, mile wide. Okay. And the other thing that's going to happen here is uh, Madeline Pryor is going to come back in like the current issues of New Mutants. So yeah. that is the only thing that's kind of bringing me back to saying, oh, well, maybe maybe something fun is going to happen here. And we'll talk about Madeline Pryor because she comes through another book. Yeah, but we'll get to that. I don't think there's much else super relevant from New Mutants to the crossover. There's, I don't know I that these characters are going to be in there. They don't yeah. have a New Mutants crossover listed on the solicits, as far as I can tell. So, yeah, read New Mutants if if these are characters you grew up with, like, like Chris did. If you want to kind of see uh, what happens to the young characters who need to find a place on Krakoa. Uh, other than that, I think this is a book you don't have to read to understand the main story. Would you well, agree? I, I mean, New Mutants actually fell off Marvel's schedule for four months and nobody noticed. I only noticed because it's like, because I'm very, very anal about what books are coming in. And uh, it's like, hey, I haven't I haven't discussed an issue of New Mutants in a while. Oh, that's because it hasn't come out was, in four Was months. this part of the, the lives and deaths of Wolverine or was this a separate issue? Both. The, okay. it, was, uh, it, it went on hiatus like everything else did. But before that, it was just not there. It just fell off the schedule. 
Mm-hmm. There's so, maybe supply chain stuff. So okay, not not a not a horrible not, book. Not it essential. had some things I didn't like about it, but not not essential to understanding the main story. No, no, but no. had some cool art. Certainly, certainly. Um, now, a book that is kind of essential is um, the book that I consider like the legitimate flagship of the uh, the early days of the post Hoxpox run, and that's X Force Volume Six. Indeed, because uh, you know stuff actually happened, and there was a team. Yeah, hmm. it was a team called X Force, and it was the same as the name of the book. And we didn't find out later that there wasn't one. So that was <laughs> there nice. wasn't one, unlike yeah. X Men. <laughs> so yeah, so X Force is the like the mutant. CIA. Sometimes I say CIA. Yeah. It's kind of like the Strike Force. If you need somebody to go out and you it's know, it's like the wet works. It's yeah, it's right. If you need somebody to go out and do bad things undercover for the service of Krakoa, you call those people X Force. Yes, they are your fixers, basically. And it was, um, there were a lot of very, very interesting things about uh, this run. And I give, uh, you know, the writer Ben Percy, I give him a lot of guff for, you know, using some shortcuts in the, you know, using info pages instead of, instead of as information, just as script pages that they don't feel like drawing. Very, very exploity of the info pages here. He also has, um, he, you know, I, I compared it to, that episode of friends where Joey can only afford one volume of the encyclopedia, <laughs> you know? So he yeah. tries to, he tries to got to work it, into, right. Work yeah. everything that begins with M into conversation yeah. all the time. Absolutely. So I get the feeling via Percy's writing here that before he writes an issue, he discovers an amazing tidbit of knowledge that he wants to share, whether it be like, Oh, I discovered this myth, this Greek myth. So I'm going to work it in. Or I discovered that this yeah, volcano it, erupted. It, it, so. it does feel like he's writing backwards. It's not like he's writing a story oh, yeah. and thinks, you know what? You know what classical illusion would yeah. would add some depth to the story I'm already writing? No, it feels more like he's got this illusion he wants to work in. So you and then get he kind of makes a story to make it work. Yeah, that that's and I mean it's it's very formulaic. Um the yeah, dialogue isn't always actually Jim and I were just talking very much about that in uh Hellrider. Or Ghost Rider. I always call it oh. Hell Rider. Ghost Rider he's writing now. Oh, that's and Percy it has, yeah. yeah, it has similar similar issues like that. Yeah, for sure. Like he, he uh, a theme very much, technology gone wrong is very much okay. a theme he likes to write about. And he makes it come up in this issue, even though it doesn't, doesn't really fit belong. Organically, right? yeah. And I mean, I think he's improved quite a bit over the years because back, you know, last time, my last go around with Weird Science, I was doing the Teen Titans book that Ben Percy was writing. And that was a slog. Uh, Folks who were listening back then will remember every single issue had somebody either threatening to quit the team, quitting the team, getting thrown (laughs) off the team, complaining they were kicked off the team, complaining that they want to leave the team. It It almost feels like the writer's got some issues. He's uh, he's kind of working out out on the page there. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So X-Force, the biggest thing that happened early on in X-Force is we see uh, a strike force come in from outside, some bad guys from we don't know where exactly, and they manage to show up as they all look like they're Domino. So the island recognized them as mutants. They arrive on Krakoa and they head out to kill Professor X and they succeed in killing Professor X. I think that was the the cliffhanger at issue one of X-Force, wasn't it? The very, very first issue. Yeah, this is a Xeno. We'd be be told eventually they were Xeno. And they had kidnapped Domino and they took took chunks of her skin. They peeled her and grafted her skin on these characters, which, I mean, X-Force, I I think X-Force gets a little bit of license for brutality. 
since it, you know, X-Force is a darker book. It you know, makes sense that this is where that would happen. Yeah, absolutely. And um, unfortunately, he was brought back very, very quickly, very quickly and without much incident. <laughs> so we didn't really get a whole lot of uh, tension there. Yeah, early, early on, a lot of the books were trying to do the whole, do we really mean it that death doesn't matter? Can people really come back? Yes, they yeah. can. So yeah. this was like the apotheosis of that. It's Professor X, one of the main people needed to do the wearing resurrection. Wearing the Cerebro helmet. Yeah. Wearing the Cerebro, Cerebro helmet. Can we still do resurrection if he's the one who's dead? And it yeah. turned out very quickly, oh, yeah, sure. Not, not yeah, a problem. Backups. Bare, yeah. Barely an inconvenience. Yes. Yeah, we, we've got not only data backups, but we got helmet backups as well. So Helmets no and, and personnel, right? You never Absolutely. want to be, you never want your organization to depend on just one person where if they quit, no one can log into the database. Yes, you need the contingency, and they did have it. Um, a few of the like major themes here. Uh, we talked about Domino a moment ago. Uh, Domino, she had started a kind of on-again, off-again relationship with Colossus during um, Cable and X-Force back in the Marvel Now days. Okay. And they had a, they had a, a you know, moderately sweet story together. But here we had, uh, when X-Force started... Uh, Captain Kate and the Marauders actually brought Colossus back from Russia. He was in some sort of a to-do. We didn't really get a, an explanation as to how traumatic this to-do was immediately. All we know is that it really, really, it really, really messed with Peter. You know, it messed with him pretty hardcore. Right. So he was wildly depressed. He was just not, the, I'd say not the same guy, but for as long as I've been reading, Peter Rasputin has been a sad sack <laughs> Most of the time, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. when I started reading yeah. Magic... It's kind of that, that trope with a really big, really strong, really tough guy, but he's sad. Yeah, he's he's he's, a, he's just a putty cat. He likes to paint. He does. He does indeed. So he was really, really screwed up, and he goes to his lightning rod, which was Domino, who was also very, very screwed up. She was just peeled, you know, like like a piece of fruit. And, that'll uh, do your day, yeah. That, 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 that's not a good day. She'd be rescued by Quentin Quire and Wolverine, um, who were, you know, other members of X-Force. But the Colossus and Domino would talk, and it brought up an interesting concept. And this was right around the time that the flagship book was doing the Crucible issue. I think it was right, uh, actually a month before the Crucible issue. And uh, they started talking about uh, trauma and suicide. You know, um, we didn't know that suicide was the sort of governmental no-no that it was, you know, right. where it's like, don't do this or else you're at the back of the line. We didn't know all that just yet. But we also we also were still feeling our, getting our land legs here as so far as the resurrection protocols were, you know, from, you know, soup to nuts. We don't know exactly what's the deal here just yet. But they're talking about, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could just go to sleep and just never, never wake up again or wake up as different people with different experiences, different, different lives, different everything. And that's where we get Domino saying that, Hey, if I die, I, I want to be brought back as is, you know, I want to be brought back with she my memories. With my trauma. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we do find out that when she does die, she is brought back without her trauma. And uh, it was a pretty great reaction from Peter when he realizes this. And they didn't, and I mean, that's, has that ever been followed up on like who made that decision and why it happened? You know, I'm sure there was some sort of, it might've been in an info page. Ben Percy does use a lot of those, but um, 
I, I usually don't give him credit for subtlety, but the way this was handled was quite subtle, at least on the page, on the comic page. Okay. There may have been info page stuff that totally blows a hole in this, but um, yeah, uh, but Colossus looks like almost betrayed, almost not knowing if Domino changed their mind at the end of the day, almost not knowing if the five did it of their own volition or from, you know, orders on high. Mm-hmm. Very well done. Very well done stuff here. And very human. You know, uh, just the discussions here and how trauma can change people. Yeah, it it did a good job of using this science fictional idea of the mutant resurrection to mm-hmm. actually comment on facilitate this comment real human yeah. emotion and experience, mm-hmm. and and actually having that that way out. You know, this uh, this literal way out. It's it was very very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of my main takeaways was the depiction of Beast. Which yes. has been one of the more uh, contested and conflicting among you know tenured and I guess new X fans alike. Mm-hmm. So he becomes like one of the main people running X Force. At least he certainly thinks he's completely running X Force. Like yeah, for sure. Yeah, he thinks that he's got everything under control. He there's like one issue where he compares himself to the conductor of a symphony where all the other members are like <laughs> instruments in the symphony and he's the one telling them all what to do. They don't need to know the big picture, right? The mm-hmm. the viola player doesn't need to know what the timpani player is doing. They just need to do their job. But the conductor, he's the one in charge of everything. Yeah. And he gets like an egomania kind of idea where he always presents himself as he's doing everything for Krakoa. He's serving Krakoa. He's serving the greater good, the best interest of everyone. And he's the only one who really knows those best interests. Yeah, sure. Charles and Magneto. Yeah, they they think that they're in charge, but really they don't have like the nerve to do what really has to be done. And Mm -hmm. he's the one willing to do what has to be done to save the the nation. Absolutely. And he does some really underhanded, awful things that he thinks have to be done and we're really letting us see how much does it really have to be done or how much is this beast just indulging his own whims and his own sense of power it's true it's true and this one this was this was uh, received wildly different ways uh, mostly negative uh, from what i've read i think a lot of x fans have their own particular version of what the way beast should be written Kind yeah. of, I'm sure depending on where they came into the fandom, whether he was, you know, the big bouncing, you know, wisecracking guy, wears the glasses and makes some jokes and uses big words. That's one version of Beast. And then there's these other more darker versions that other people like. And this is very much more of that scheming, very smart, but not as smart as he thinks he is version mm-hmm. of Beast. Yeah, and and I, I think I might be in a minority in really, really liking it. Um, and I, I can contextualize that in a, in a bit here. Um, Beast was always kind of the, he's always been the one with the onus to fix things. Um, he is, you know, the big brain. He is the smart yeah, he, guy there. He's got a, a Reed Richards kind of part to Basically, it. basically. So he was always the one who anytime something bad would happen to the mutants or the X-Men, it's like, oh, well, Beast will fix it. I mean, we talked about the legacy virus. The legacy mm-hmm. virus right, right. was, uh, you know, you know, quick and dirty is mutant AIDS. You know, it's going to, it's an uncurable, incurable uh, disease that's going to kill whatever mutant it, uh, you know, it, it infects. So 
we spent uh, the better part of a decade with Beast trying to solve the legacy virus whenever they remembered that the legacy virus was a problem that needed to be solved. And you'd see Beast holding a test tube or sitting at a computer going, damn it, I wish I could figure out the legacy virus. Or it would be the New Year's issue, and his resolution is, this year I'm going to cure the legacy virus. Mm -hmm. But he's got to work within a framework. He can't really... You know, you can you know you can think about like a like a Dr. Frankenstein, a Dr. Moreau. You could you can work in. I'm trying to think here um, how to compare this to real war. I mean, there have been atrocities done during wars where doctors have done things very very unethical to test the lengths or the the strengths of the human body, stuff that really should never be done, and. Beast couldn't do those things to do what he needed to do. He was handcuffed by his own morality, by his own compass, uh, by the fact that he was a public hero. You know, he could not do the things that needed done to cure things expediently. And I mean, this is not a commentary on real world sort of stuff here. This is just in the comic, you know, fantastical Marvel universe. So Beast was handcuffed. He could only do what he could do and what... The, the result was, is he didn't do anything. He couldn't solve the legacy virus. Maura McTaggart would eventually solve the legacy virus on her own way later on. Beast didn't really do a whole heck of a lot except waste a lot of his own time and frustrate himself. Mm-hmm. Jump ahead to House of M. No more mutants. We enter the endangered species era. Beast is put on point again. Fix this. How are you going to fix this? Fix the fact that you know, uh, we're down to 198 mutants from millions. We're down to 198. It's all up to you, Beast. Fix it. More is dead. It's all up to you. And what does he do? Not a whole heck of a lot. Because he can't do a whole heck mm-hmm. of a lot. So I guess you could see why in this new era where he has all this power now and He's the mutants free. are back and in on top of things, he doesn't want to go back to those old days. And you could mm-hmm. see why he'd be willing to do these things. So this... I think one of the purposes of this book is to raise those questions about should he acting in yeah. the what seems to be the right thing to do versus norms and institutions and sure. should you let norms and institutions stand in the way even when you think it's really important to do something else. Absolutely. Yeah, so he has I mean X-Force being delivered to him on a silver platter is the ability to work under the you know away you know under the you know the cloak of darkness here. right like they are very much on the page literally told the laws of krakoa don't apply. really apply to you mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. other places other places get kind of hand waved about that but explicitly x-force you have the ability to ignore those when you think it's necessary and mm-hmm. beast is the one who decides when he thinks it's necessary Absolutely. So that was one of the main like takeaways from mm-hmm. the early and even into today's X Force. Uh, we have Beast question doing questionable things. Yeah, that's. I kept waiting for Be- Beast to get his comeuppance, and mm-hmm. he kind of does in little pieces now and then. But it yeah. felt like a like a like a roller coaster going up a big hill. You're waiting for the big crash downward, but we don't get that. We get little nope. little boop, little, dips. little boop, yep. but then he keeps crawling back up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he also was tied to suspecting all the Russians. <laughs> yes. Right? So we know the Russians are the bad guys. And this was kind of inexplicable. It's weird because it's inexplicable, but then he turned out he was right. But anyway, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it, it got a kind of triple reverse on that. So he decided to kind of 
in a, a very ham-handed way, round up all the Russian mutants and question them. Yep. And not even like in a subtle way, have a little chat with, but like bring all, the, bring all the Russians yep. in and change, just tie them up. And, That's know, it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. It, and, but it does turn out that uh, Colossus, I think, is the Colossus story come up in, in X-Force, right? This is where we learn about what's going the on. The Chronicler. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the other, the Russian bad guys, what's the name of the Russian bad guy group? Are they part of... They were kind of tied with Zeno, but not totally. Yeah, they're kind of connected with Zeno, but they have this one guy called Chronicler, mm-hmm. who's a mutant who has some kind of power about the stories that he writes affect the real world. Yeah, they can somehow kind of unclear. Yeah. Again, one of those reality warping yeah. things that does, but he does it by. We saw these letters pop up on info pages, and mm-hmm. he kind of he's writing a story about Colossus. But we didn't know at first who's writing this story or where it they're getting the information been, from. It could have been and, Colossus writing his own story. It could have been Mikhail right. writing it. it but was, it, it was, turns out to be this guy controlled by Mikhail yeah. doing things. So they're kind of controlling Colossus. So mm-hmm. this group has somebody very much on the inside, guy who's now on, on the Quiet and Council. Council. Yeah. So that's another shoe that hasn't dropped yet. Mm-hmm. So... It was bad for Beast to suspect all the Russians, and especially bad for Beast to suspect Colossus. But well, actually, he was, he right. was right to suspect. It was he was right for the wrong reasons, but he shouldn't have done it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else uh, people one, need to know from this? Just one last going thing. forward. Okay. Yeah, just one last thing, and it's a Quentin Choir. Quentin Choir, yes. um, a Grant Morrison character, another special class kid. Um, we talk about the exploitation and the overuse of mutant death and the cheapening of mutant death. Um, Quentin Quire was basically the, you know, Kenny from South Park in this book, where he would <laughs> yeah, die basically over every and issue. over again. And, you know, that's all well and good. You know, it's like, okay, this is getting annoying. This is kind of just, oh, we get it. You know, we mm-hmm. get the point. Again, every, every, book, every book wanted to poke at the limits of the new status quo. And yeah. Quentin Quire was the one who used... They were used in this book because he died over and over again. Yeah. And which was kind of crazy because he's super powerful. He's an Omega. He'll tell you how super powerful he is. Just listen to him for five minutes. It's like, you know, how do you know someone's a vegan? Well, right. Exactly. They do CrossFit too. They do CrossFit. Yeah. Right. So he gets brought back and he's also used to talk about what can be done in resurrection because he kind of leaves standing orders to be brought back a little different every time. He gets modest. Yeah. He gets modest. He wants to change his hairstyle or. I forget what other issues he brings back, but like he little wanted, things. Uh, yeah, he it's wanted like, like it's his, like customizing your car. Yeah, he wanted like his eyes to have perfect vision, but he still wanted to wear glasses as a, like a fashion statement. He wanted right. to have like all of his nose hair removed. Uh, he wanted to have certain, <laughs> you know. Like, it was it was very much lampshading the ridiculous things that could happen under resurrection. For sure, for sure. So he was. But he dying. also had he also had a love interest, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, one of the uh, cuckoos. One of the cuckoos, I forget uh, which. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Cable was dating one. He was dating one other one. Yeah. Maybe they did a switch at some point. Who knows? They, they very well might have. Um, but like the thing with uh, Quentin dying so often here, um, it was way too much for us as readers. But then Inferno starts and it gives us an actual timeline. And it's like, okay, Hox Pox was two weeks ago. or so, It was like two months, I think. And it's like you realize that this dude has died hundreds of times in two months. I don't know if we're supposed to think about that, but uh, again, I can't not. ridiculously lampshaded. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And but now yeah. X Force is going to have two issues tying into Judgment Day. Okay, and, and in fact, there are just two issues, just two weeks apart. So apparently, it looks oh, like wow. it's a pretty big, 
again, according to the schedule on the Marvel website now, very yeah. much up to revision. For but sure. yeah, so this will be part of it. And I would think Beast is probably the the character most likely to factor into a crossover. Because if there's going to be a battle between mutants and mm-hmm. other groups, Beast is going to want to be in charge and, and probably getting his, his X-Force compatriots involved as well. Either that, because the X-Force issues of our crossovers to this point have been very, very Red Sky crossover. They've been very X-Force centric, I feel. Like during the Hellfire Gala, they were like the bouncers and like really didn't get involved with right. much more than that. So I wonder if that'll be a, uh, I wonder if that'll be the way this goes. Maybe it'll tie off with uh, Wolverine, the other book that Percy writes. I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But hopefully, hopefully there'll be some good stuff involved here. But uh, I think this takes us to our final uh, of the Dawn of X launch books here. And uh, uh, what do we say? Last but least. Mm-hmm. Oh, Fallen Angels. Yes. Volume so this, two. this was announced, at least it seemed like it was announced as an ongoing, just like all the other yeah. launch books. Uh, but they quickly decided or announced or revealed that, no, it's just going to be a miniseries. And this was written by Brian Edward Hill, yeah. who has written a few other things. He wrote Killmong- a Killmonger miniseries that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote an indie book for, I think it was Image, called American Carnage that I, I liked think, a whole lot. Did he do the the most recent Batman and the Outsiders as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. And he, uh, he, he comes across on Twitter as a really nice guy, which makes it hard for me to say. I don't often like a lot of his other books. He mm-hmm. has a way of he, – he, his dialogue and his narration, he likes to say it's things purple. that sound like this mm-hmm. is very deep. It's very purple. Very purple. And it does the story he's telling doesn't always support the depth that he thinks the dialogue should have. I it think almost reads like a parody. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I that haven't seen him. Here. I haven't seen his name on comics for a while now. He was doing some Buffy comics for whatever imprint had that license. Boomer, but I don't, I think he's also done a lot of uh, TV writing. Like he was on the, uh, uh, some of the DC. Oh, the CW? T- no, not, not the CW. The, uh, the, when DC was doing, what's the, the, the team they oh, were doing? The, the, the F the- Batman. The oh the Teen Titans stuff yeah the Titans thing yeah 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 so he was part of that writing team so I think maybe he's moved back Oof. to mostly being a TV writer they can keep but him, Fallen Angels uh, this the important thing about Fallen Angels is that it sets up Hellions which yeah, is one of our favorite things yeah. <laughs> so the idea here is that Psylocke she's she's back right again she used to be Quanon. merged with Betsy yeah. Quinnon. I, I I sometimes call her QAnon, but I'm not going to call her that on the podcast because that Yo. would be too much. Definitely not going <laughs> to say that. So what comes out is that she had a daughter. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time we learned she had a daughter, right? This is a, a new thing introduced. I believe so. I believe she so. She had a daughter. Her, her story was kept it was connected with nebulous. like the hand, maybe? Some yeah. sort of ninja side of things. Brian Edward Hill loves the ninja side of things too. Well, so, that's also where she, that is, that is legit though. That's, okay. You know, that the Mandarin was involved and all that. Yeah. Okay. So she had this daughter, but then this AI called Apoth, Apoth, Apoth one of those, yeah. killed the daughter, but then part of the consciousness of the daughter, do we ever get a name for the daughter? I keep saying daughter. I don't recall. I don't think so. Yeah. But that daughter is stored within, like, the data of Apoth. Like Apoth, yeah. And at the end of Fallen Angels, because we're skipping right to the end, yeah. uh, that data falls into the hands of Mr. Sinister. Yeah. 
So it's like Quanon hands it over. Yeah. Right. So her daughter is in his care. So that's why she has to do whatever he says, because he's got this very much over her head and he's not shy at all about saying, you got to do what I say or else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really all you need to know about fallen angels. I think it was, I mean, yeah, we can, I mean, we can mention, I think last time we mentioned that X 23 was a part of it. And this is where she like, you know, you know, shed her Wolverine skin before Hickman put her right back into it. Uh, Kid Cable was part of this. Um, this was one of my very first introductions to the uh, the Kid Cable. I I had uh, he had uh, he had shown up while I was lapsed. You know, I was out. So Kid Cable, this was my first run in with him. They also added um, a Husk and Bling to the team. That's right. They did show yeah. up. And and I remember that they were like part of the promotional materials, but they showed up for like one issue and they stood. That was it. It's like, hey, you're fallen angels now. Okay, cool. You guys can go back home now. That's cool. Very much um, probably the first miss of the line, I think. You know? Yeah, and I think that was a pretty widely shared opinion. And there's 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 definitely fans of some of the books we don't like as much. There's certainly Excalibur fans, certainly and, fans and of all these books. There, also, I don't know there's a whole yeah. lot of Fallen Angel fans out there. I mean, I have run into a couple. I, I mean, we are on the internet where the unpopular opinion is like the smart opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, I, I really I really like Black Canary's Jazzercise costume. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. Oh, yeah, you're great. You're great. Dazzler's an interesting character. Yeah, yeah, fine, cool. But uh, yeah, you have your, your 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 unpopular opinion that's shared by everybody else. But um, yeah, Fallen Angels was eh, not not great. Uh, and it's funny because I, I was actually able to like follow this on the show where like I would gauge my listenership. And it's like, okay, we're doing X-Men. We're up here. Okay, X-Force up here. And Moro's here. Fallen Angels. Nobody listened. Okay, back up Excalibur. <laughs> halfway there. Nobody wanted to hear about, read about, know yeah. about so Fallen Angels. So read Fallen Angels if you really want to see it's a Psylocke's read. backstory. Yeah, and it's a if quick, you're quick a big Brian Edward Hill fan and maybe the, the kinds of writing that hits my ear funny, maybe that's your thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely there. And it's, it's a self-contained quick story. And that's Fallen Angels. And I, and I, you know, when, when I read it and I finished it, I think I considered it among the worst X-Men stories I ever read. And then I read X-Corp and X-Men Green. So I owe Fallen Angels a sincere apology. Okay. So on that high note, I think we're going to take a quick break and then maybe come back with a little more. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are still not done with the Dawn of X stuff just yet. Uh, we've got two more entire waves to go we've got a wave that we're calling wave 1.5 which uh, consists mostly of miniseries and one shots then we've got wave two which we don't get a whole heck of a lot of issues of uh, these stories before we get to exosword so this will probably be a shorter segment uh, to wrap this up here this wave 1.5 it seemed like marvel wanted to make some connections between Krakoa and the rest of their universe. Certainly. Some, I'd say mixed success, I think, is what we would give it. With good intentions. <laughs> With uh, right. the best of it's, intentions. It's clearly something that this is where you could tell it wasn't being run by a single point of view anymore, right? This wasn't Hickman having a vision and carrying yeah. out that vision. You could definitely feel people pulling in different directions and kind of contradicting each other. And, yeah, not, not totally being on the same page here. Um, now, the one book here that 
I wanted to read so bad from from House of X number one uh, was a, a story that they're calling X-Men plus Fantastic Four or X-Men and Fantastic Four, X-Men verse Fantastic X-Men and Fantastic Four are a part of this book. Yes. And the whole premise of this book was that, uh, well, Franklin is or was a mutant. And, uh, well, the mutants thought he should come home. He wasn't just a mutant. He was listed in one of the Hoxpox books on a list of Omega mutants. So Mm -hmm. one of the most important mutants, someone that the Krakoans really want to have part of their team, part of their world, part of their people, Mm -hmm. right? Not only because he's so powerful, but because he is one of them. Yep. And I mean, I've wanted the Franklin uh, X-Men connection to happen forever. Uh, There was a story called The Twelve around the turn of the century, which was uh, originally introduced by, I believe, Louise Simonson in um, probably X-Factor 17, 16, way back in the uh, mid to late 80s. And uh, the idea was that there were going to be 12 mutants that were going to lead us into like the next, the next millennium, the next stage. And oftentimes Franklin was in that mix. And I always thought that was so cool that such a powerful character was a, not an X-Men character. B was a kid. And, and I don't know if there's a C or not, but I was looking forward to seeing the interaction. <laughs> um, Franklin would kind of, well, he wouldn't join an X team, but he would live with generation X for a little while during the uh, heroes return era or heroes reborn era. I should say. Okay. Post onslaught. You know, all the Marvel heroes are sent to this pocket dimension of Franklin's own creation. Franklin was left behind, so his parents are gone. He's got to stay somewhere. Well, let's put him with Generation X, and we'll give him a miniseries called Daydreamers. That really, really sucked. But uh, he was there, and I was looking forward to this from the moment Cyclops said, Hey, you know, you, you got a you 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 nice-looking kid over there. We can't wait to have him on the team, you know. I was looking forward to seeing how this would play out. And unfortunately, it really doesn't. No, so it's it's written by Chip Zdarsky, who is a, a mm-hmm. very quality writer. I did I was expecting not to like him when he first kind of came over Same into here. Marvel stuff because I had him in my head filed under, oh, he's the guy who makes the dirty jokes that aren't as funny as he thinks they are. Yeah, me too. That was kind of, he, 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 artist. I think he's the artist on Sex Criminals. He's done some of those things, and he has like a, a public persona. His, his name isn't really Chip Zdarsky. I forget what it really is, but he has not just a pen name, but like a pen persona. Yeah. Where he, he makes himself out to be kind of a, a weirdo slob. Weirdo. And maybe he really is a weirdo slob, but, you know, mm-hmm. he, he has a persona that he uses for this. Yeah. And I wasn't super happy about that. But then I read him do, oh, it was uh, Invaders, I think was the first thing I read of his that I okay. really loved. Mm-hmm. That was an, an incredible book that sadly was kind of cut short. Yeah. And he also did, I think he also did the uh, the Marvel 2-in-1. That was also Chip Zdarsky. Yes, it was. He did. Also really good. And again, also mm-hmm. working with some Fantastic Four kind of characters. Yep. Bring so seeing him coming back to do an X-Men Fantastic Four book, I was pretty excited. Oh, yeah. I thought this was going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I also was kind of questioning of Zarsky. I think I read... Uh, I think I read his Jughead back when like Mark Wade came okay. on to Archie. Yeah, and he I was, was like, a Jughead writer. Yeah, I like, never this... read any of that, but I know he did that. Yeah, I was like, this is not good. And, and he was also paired up with like the Squirrel Girl artist, and that's not my favorite stuff either. Erica I forget Henderson? Erica Henderson, yes. Yeah, yeah. not my favorite. Not my favorite. Uh, she's, you know, she's got the nuts and bolts down, uh, no pun intended, with the Squirrel Girl. Works, but... works for Squirrel Girl. I don't know if she'd work in anything more serious than that. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, very stylized stuff. But- this book comes out, I'm thinking that this is going to be like 
not so much deep stuff, but something. I thought something was going to happen here. What we got instead was basically the X-Men as like foaming at the mouth villains. It's a tug of war between the Fantastic Four and the X-Men for mm-hmm. control of Franklin. And I think what's interesting is this was not written out of the X office. No, no, right? no. It didn't it have the, the X editors. It yeah. didn't have the, it wasn't part of the like look. It didn't have, I don't think it had the data pages. It had, it had a take on them. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They had data pages, but they were all wrong. At least in yeah. my head, like, oh, this, <laughs> this isn't the way these are supposed to look because in the main books, the data pages have a very particular look and Tom feel Muller to them. look. Yeah. Right. And these didn't have that. So it was mm-hmm. kind of half in the boat, half out of the boat. Yeah. But I think, it, I mean, in a way that worked because we were seeing the X-Men from an external, excuse the word term, perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. We're kind of seeing how the rest of the world Would is looking them. at this team, yeah. which is a super interesting idea. And one thing I was wondering about during this whole period. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because it's basically like Professor X and Magneto wake up one day and say, hey, let's go get Franklin today. <laughs> then they go and like try to snatch him out of his mother's arms. It's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. One of those things in, in comics over and over again, all these tensions and fights happen that could be fixed by a simple two minute conversation at the beginning if but that, it never yeah. happens because we need to have the fight for sure and this and then, was a frustrating version of that true and then uh, dr doom gets involved and we kind of get a we kind of get like a flashback to the original x-men vs. fantastic four miniseries from the 80s where kitty and franklin have a you know a friendship and a camaraderie i mean it, it definitely played off that pretty well it's just it didn't deliver what i wanted it to mm-hmm and the ramifications were almost an afterthought. Well, both sides got to be villains here, right? Because the mm-hmm. X-Men were trying to steal Franklin. Yeah. But then Reed was like putting some sort of a techno whammy on Franklin to kind of make him not able was it make him not able to use the gates? Yeah, what? it was that was the, like that? that's how it wrapped up and that, this is actually going to be revisited again in I believe Marauders cuz uh, or cuz Kitty met with uh, Reed at the very tail end of uh, Reign of X. But um, Reed was uh, basically working on a way to erase the mutant gene. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was like a little machine here. And um, the ending was pretty cool in that Xavier finds this out, him and Magneto visit, and they, they take the ability to remember how to do this from Reed, but not the memory that he did it in the first place. Yes. So basically driving Reed crazy. He knows he can do this. He knows he he's created this machine, this implant, whatever the hell it is. He just doesn't know how to do it again. So pretty uh, horrendous, <laughs> terrifying sort of stuff there. <laughs> but um, a, a pretty decent takeaway. And for the past, what are we in 2022 now? For the past three years, it hasn't been touched on again. So no, it's uh, No, it hasn't. It's, it's, it hopefully will be pretty soon with, uh, so with Kate meeting up. This miniseries tried to settle Franklin's status. And okay, yep, he's a mutant. He's kind of, he'll be able to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. He's not ours, but he is kind of part of us and he has a home here. Yeah. And then- This is his weekend home. Yeah. This, but then outside of anything having to do with X-Men. X-Men. In Fantastic Four Over in Fantastic Four. Yep. Clearly the, the offices or the writers weren't talking to each other. 
mm-hmm. because this was very much like the old uh, internet thing that went around where you have two people writing a story and one's a, a boy who wants to make everything like guns and fighting. The other mm-hmm. one's a girl who wants it all to be romance. Mm-hmm. And the first line of every time they go back and forth is just undoing what the last one yep. wrote. <laughs> yeah. But that was all a dream. And this so <laughs> over here in Fantastic Four, they had a whole thing about Franklin, retcon, retcon, was never actually immune to begin with. Yep. He just kind of wanted to be one, I guess because he liked Kitty was part of it and he wanted to have this specialness to him, although he's he's powerhouse, how much more special can he be? Exactly. But he used his own power to give himself a fake mutant gene. Something like that, yeah. So, and then it didn't really wrestle with the idea of, well, if he has the mutant gene, no matter how he got it, does that mean he's a mutant? No, it doesn't. He's not a real mutant. Does, does he have a and, cerebro backup? Hmm? And no matter how powerful he is now, is Xavier and all the mutants just, he's out. You're no mm-hmm. good. You are a fake, a fraud, a phony, and we don't want anything to do with you anymore. No take backs. Yeah. And it was like, that was basically it. Xavier's like, you're no longer welcome here. Don't even bother to pick your stuff up. <laughs> You're you're done. Yeah, there'll be a there'll be a crate outside the box in in Manhattan. You can pick <laughs> we'll it up we'll there. mail your stuff home. Yeah, <laughs> which completely unceremonious, not tied in, not set up. Oh, it and sucks. it just made yeah. you think. Yeah, no one, no one, no cared. one. Yeah, yeah. It, just like we said, they should have had a conversation before they fought in the mm-hmm. book. These editors should have had a conversation before writing. Yeah, any of this stuff because it just it it felt it felt amateurish, and it, and it feels like it doesn't add anything. Because like what what does that what does it hurt that Franklin's a mutant? Does it? Uh, yeah, and so I've been reading uh, Fantastic Four right now. There's a Reckoning War storyline going war, on, yeah. which is start off great, getting a little shaky in the middle, but some cool I like stuff the going beginning. on. Yeah, I like the beginning. Yeah, he had a lot of plates spinning, and I think some of the plates are starting to, to fall off the sticks. And he actually but, gave Rogue more dialogue in the, in like three panels than Jerry Duggan's given her in two years. <laughs> so that's good. So yeah, but I don't know. Again, I don't know why this had to happen. It really seemed like somebody to you know from on high declared Someone's this has to line. happen. Yeah, I don't know if there's rights it shouldn't be any rights issues anymore now that disney owns everything yeah but something something behind the scenes went on that we don't know about yeah yeah but anyway it was it was a kind of a fun read but Mm -hmm. now that we know what happened afterwards it it doesn't feel like it's at all necessary it was yeah it was 16 bucks that uh, we could have spent elsewhere or 20 Mm -hmm. bucks i don't remember if they were four or five bucks each but uh whatever the price so the next tie-in was X-Men taking part in Empire. Ugh. So Empire was another cosmic event that involved the Earth getting invaded by plant monsters, which- Wait you know, a minute, has wait a, a minute. The, I, an I, alien invasion in Marvel? <laughs> what? No. Yeah. So the only kind of things here that I think were kind of interesting was, hey, we get horticulture back, those crazy old Ugh. ladies that I like more than Chris does. Mm-hmm. Uh and also, it set up the idea that Wanda is still kind of thinking about what she did to the mutants. Mm-hmm. This is right? a, because another attempt at uh, rehabbing. Right. So just coincidentally, she happens to go back to Genosha. 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 Yeah. And she tries to resurrect all the mutants she killed. Well, these and... are the ones that were killed by uh, Cassandra Nova. Oh, okay. The start of the, uh, the oh, Morrison right. I, I'm getting yeah. by mutant massacres and falls yeah, the, and houses of M. Easy to do. Mixed up. Okay. <laughs> so uh, she's trying to not exactly cancel out what she did, but kind of atone for yeah. her, her crime against the mutants by bringing back these dead mutants. Mm-hmm. And she brings them back, but they're all zombies now. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. dead is better. 
Yeah. And yeah. It, it sets up this very strange, but to me, very funny thing, because I played that computer game called Plants vs. Zombies, mm-hmm. where it's a tower defense game where you set up all your plants against waves and waves of zombies. And this was very much making a joke out of, hey, our tie is Plants vs. Zombies. And, and they even called one of the issues that. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was... I thought that was pretty fun. <laughs> but the, and then it all goes wrong and then Doctor Strange has to step in and it's a Doctor Strange Wanda interaction which is very relevant in the cinematic universe these days, mm-hmm. but it's very much Wanda screwed up and Doctor Strange has to help her fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the upshot is we got to meet who was that one crazy character? Splody boy. Splody boy. Yes. <laughs> Again a character I was more amused by than Chris was, mm-hmm. but the only thing to take out of this is, oh yeah, Wanda's still around and she's interested in atoning for what she did. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. Wanda Rehab Take 45. Mm-hmm. Now, another tie-in here, which is kind of tenuous, and I really only included it in X-Lapse because it was part of like the coming soon page at the very tail end of the issue. Yeah, it was um, on that list where they tell you, oh, here's the next issue coming yep. out. For It's like the next month worth of books usually. Yes, basically, yes. And uh, they only did it with the first issue of this book. But, right, uh, which seems like it was probably a mistake. I'm because thinking I, I, so. Again, it's not part of the the editorial staff, the X, X I think desk. it was. I think was it was it? part of the X desk. I believe okay. it was, uh, I believe it was Jordan White, but, um, this was the juggernaut miniseries. Uh, they, oh. they call it juggernaut volume three, even though it, I mean, juggernaut volume two is a one shot. <laughs> I think juggernaut volume one is also a one shot. They call it volume three. We'll call it volume three for, uh, for easy numbers. Here. Easy Googling. Yeah. So, um, this was a, uh, a pretty fun, a pretty fun series, uh, I wasn't expecting to like it. It is Fabian Niciesa. I think it was Ron Garney. Who, uh, is he the one doing Berserker now? With, uh, oh, Keanu? I don't know. I'm I not sure. He, I think he did Berserker. But uh, on Juggernaut, he did some fantastic work here. It was a a light series. Based, uh, compared to so much of the headier X stuff we were getting at the time, it was kind of like a day off every time I covered an issue with Juggernaut because I didn't have to think, I didn't have to look at the, I didn't have to look for symbolism. I didn't have to chew on the right. scenery. It was just like, oh, this is just a fun kind it of story. It felt like here. a much older fashioned feeling kind of a book. Oh, for sure. For sure. Not Definitely. not part of the grand plan of Hickman and what he's trying to pull all the strings to go somewhere. Yeah. It's just Juggernaut. He's not allowed to be on the island because he's, mm-hmm. sure, he's he's Chuck's brother, but he's not a mutant, even yeah. though everyone thinks he's a mutant. Yeah. And he's kind of off doing his own thing. And he runs into D-cell. this girl who is a, she is a mutant, right? Yes. D-Cell, yes. who's like this kind of character, kind of kind of living on her own. I don't know if she got kicked out of her house or what, but she's Street like kid. doing her own thing. Yeah, yeah Street, Street Kid. kid. And uh, she has powers to uh, decelerate. So like the juggernaut will charge at her and she can actually decelerate him. Can't stop him because he's a juggernaut, but can slow him down suitably enough here. Mm-hmm. But um, it was kind of fun. And I liked that we got so much uh, of uh, Juggernaut and uh, Charles and Juggernaut and his old pal, Black Tom Cassidy. And mm-hmm. uh, it was fun how, you know, Juggernaut was like the one guy, for whatever reason, that they wouldn't let on Krakoa. It's like they they let like refugees on there. They let bad people on there when they wanted to punish them. Juggernaut, no, 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 no. He's helping out, but no, you're not allowed here. And I thought that was really well done until they forgot about it. Uh, I think Ben Percy forgot about it and then included Juggernaut in an info page, having a drink at the Green Lagoon. Oops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
again, so this was a fun book. I, I Again, I like the way it does point out that, yes, Krakoa exists in the wider Marvel universe, which mm-hmm. is, is nice. And it seems like it is connected to nothing, but it's kind of funny, but Juggernaut is very recently now back yep. on Krakoa. Legion, he's right? he's, yeah. he's on Krakoa. He's part of Legion of X, mm-hmm. uh, Nightcrawler's new team. Yeah. So it's they kind of talk a little bit about how he's allowed back now, but it's still a little bit vague. But he seems quite happy to be back on Krakoa. So if you yeah. want to see the story of how Juggernaut wanted to be on Krakoa, but originally wasn't allowed, this little miniseries is where you go for that. Yeah, and they did a follow-up in X-Men Unlimited on Marvel Unlimited. It was a um, Juggernaut and Deadpool team-up story, which uh, basically just, it was basically a follow-up to this. Oh, right, at yes. the end of it, yeah, At the end of it, he was invited to stay on Krakoa, but he said no. That's that's the one where they make a, a big deal about uh, showing Deadpool just getting stomped on over and over again as you scroll down the page, right? Was that several story? times? Several, several times. times. Yeah, this is a, I think a Niciesa caught whatever it is that Duggan caught, where it's just it can't be funny anymore. What's going on here? Oh well. But uh, the the last part of our like one point five wave here is a series of one shots. Uh the giant size X Men one shots. That's a big name. If you call something a giant size X Men, that sounds like it's it should be important. Yeah, you know it does. Uh, it does evoke a certain a certain image. But um, this was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, it feels like they started out with one linear story they wanted to tell throughout these giant sizes, and then they forgot about that story until like the very end. Uh, it was a Storm story, which stands to reason that they'd forget about it. It seems like Storm was uh, forgotten about quite often during this run, but. Um, yeah, Storm was somehow infected by the children of the vault. Somehow the children of the vault got out, even though they were in the vault. And Yeah, it was in somehow the thing that's killing her can really kill her, even though death doesn't matter. But in yeah. this miniseries, it does. And, and really, this this was, if you want to read this, it's for the art. We were, these were, these were I think it was showcase. created to be, bring in some amazing artists, give them some bigger space. I think the format was larger too, was it? Were these large format issues? No, no, no. Well, well I mean, they were, they were, they were more pages. Uh, okay. The, but the, regular yeah. size. Yeah. Regular okay. size for sure. Maybe the, uh, I don't know if maybe a trade collection might've been oversized. I'm, I'm probably making that up. I'm a digital reader. It's, it can be whatever size my, my tablet <laughs> is. I can zoom in. But it so was, yeah, uh, it's either cool to look at, but the story is Never really referred to again, except for one little thing. Yeah. We see that Magneto uh, gets access and buys this island Mykonos, in this yeah, yeah in this uh, miniseries, and that's where the Hellfire Gala ends up being later. Yeah, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, look I at mean, it from some pretty pictures, but that's the only reason to look at this. Yeah, I mean they redid uh, or they did an homage to uh, the Nuff said story that Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley did back in New X Men, the uh, you know Silence Psychic Rescue in Progress or whatever. Um, back then it was Emma and Jean doing it to, uh, Professor X. Uh, now it was Emma and Jean doing it to Storm. And it was very, very similar. A lot of, uh, a lot of callbacks to that. Uh, there was a Phantom X story. Phantom X is one of those characters I never really thought was near as cool as I think everyone else did. He's kind of like yeah, just French I Gambit. In, I remember enjoying that story and it felt like, oh, this is an interesting character I should know more about. But then when I start Googling him, it gets really complicated really quickly. And I, I didn't I didn't go into him any further. No, no. It's a very, very Morrison character. One of those Morrison characters that no one else should have ever touched. Just leave it as it is. I'm trying to think what other... We had a Nightcrawler, a giant-sized Nightcrawler that Nightcrawler was not even a focused character in. That's um, right. That was so weird that they called it that. Yeah. It was. A, it had wonderful Alan Davis art. 
and it, it actually took us back to the uh, the old Xavier Mansion, which we haven't seen in ages. Um, what's the other one here? We had Giant Size Storm, of course, uh, Phantom X, Magneto. Yeah, they were they were what they were. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they weren't much more than that. If if one of those artists is somebody you're a fan of, you'll definitely want the book. Yeah, I mean, if you like the covers to Marauders, the Russell Dodderman stuff. He actually gets an entire issue here, and that's not something we see very often. I think he did uh, like War of the Realms or whatever that was back in 2019 or so. But uh, it's it, it's some pretty pretty art, pretty art. Phil Noto does the Phantom X one, I believe. It's very very good stuff. Um, but that is basically Wave 1.5. We call it that. Uh, then we get our second official wave here. These are books that were meant to be ongoings, and uh, actually, uh, I think one of them is still. Ongoing right. to the extent that anything actually is an ongoing that's not called Batman or Detective Comics. These Certainly. these are those. Yes. So and- yeah, the first one is going to be Wolverine because of course mm-hmm. Wolverine again one of the top two probably characters at Marvel of all time. Super popular. People mm-hmm. don't know anything about comics. Know from Wolverine. Sure. So naturally, if we've got a bunch of X books going on, there's got to be one called Wolverine. Absolutely. And this is Volume Seven. Volume 7, uh, Wolverine here. And, I mean, they even joked about it in uh, the preview magazine that led up to the uh, the Hoxpox deal, the uh, Seeds of Tomorrow. Hickman's like, hey, you never know. Maybe we'll do a Wolverine book, too. And it's like, well, yes, of course you will. <laughs> and um, this, is a, this is another Ben Percy book. And oftentimes it's kind of, you know, I don't want to necessarily call it a sister book to X-Force because I think sometimes Percy forgets which book he's writing. <laughs> I know I forget which book I'm reading. This is true. This is true. Sometimes it's like, is this X-Force? Is this Wolverine? Does it matter? No. Uh, we got a lot of Russian bad guys here. We also got vampire. vampire. Yeah, so the Russian bad guys are in both books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We get, I think only for Wolverine, we get the vampire section. That's just a Wolverine thing. That that drips into X-Force a little oh, bit it? with Omega oh, Red. Gosh. Just with Omega Red. Sure. Okay, yeah. sure. And we meet uh, this guy named Jeff Bannister. Who's yes. kind of this Lebowski-esque Lebowski kind of character, dude, yeah, right? So, but he works for the CIA, right? I believe it's the CIA or just a, a CIA analog. Sure, sorts. and yeah. he has a sick daughter. Yes, and he kind of makes friends with, or like grudging respect slash friendship, if Wolverine can make friends with Wolverine, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like another connection between Wolverine and the wider world. Yeah, yeah, and it's this is another one of those cases where. Um, we talk about, you know, communication between desks here and I, I'm pretty sure they outright say that Jeff Bannister's daughter has cancer and that cancer is cured by the Krakoan magic myths. But later on, we're going to find out that it doesn't cure cancer, but it did in this case. I don't know if it's case by case basis or just a, something we're not supposed to think too hard about. Right. Is it a mistake or is it just yeah. the world's complicated? Tough there you say. go. There you go. Both, neither, who knows? And yeah, these stories, it seems to be kind of its own thing, right? There, there's the mm-hmm. Russian thing that weaves through everything else. Yeah. The vampire thing. Does that tie in a little bit with the whole Dracula in Russia? Yeah. I guess that, that, that's because yeah, he's that's a through a lot of Marvel books right now. Yeah, he's a Chernobyl or whatever. Right. Yeah. But again, I don't think we know what that does. He does come up in the crossover. He has, I think, just the one Wolverine book in the crossover. But he is going to be part of Judgment Day, naturally yeah. enough. Of course, of course. And let's see here. What else do we... We had uh, some fun uh, Maverick stories here, uh, but those don't come until after X of Tens. Um, one, of the, one of my go-to lines from this book 
Wolverine is like riding on a sled with like a refrigerated vampire behind him. And he's chasing down these like vampire kids and right, he yells out, it's, it's a full page spread and he yells out ride or die. Huh? <laughs> I, I, Which again, it's one of those things that Ben Percy or somebody probably Ben Percy decided, you know, what would be really cool. Have, have him on saying ride or die. And they doesn't manage to make it work in the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I, I still love it. And, I, and it's something I try to add to my vernacular as often as possible here. Just in, in the weird, I'll be, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll just be sitting on the, on the exercise bike. And I'll yell yeah. So a f- some fun adventures, some fun action, but it doesn't really get deep conceptually the way some of the other books do. No, no. And, and, you know, it doesn't really need to. It's a, it's a book that I always look forward to reading, but I always dread talking about. Because, you know, if you have content you're putting out on the internet, it's like you want to have something to say about it. When I finish an issue of Wolverine, it's like, well, that was an issue of Wolverine. Those are some things Wolverine just did. Yeah, and it's like, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It happened. Right. <laughs> it's, 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 really not, it's not thought-provoking, and that's okay. He's Wolverine. He's, he's the best that he is at what he does, and what he yeah, does is in philosophy novels. It's yeah. true. It's true. Conversely, we have Cable. Cable we do have Cable. Four. And I think this is one that we all collectively rolled our eyes at when it was uh, first announced. It's like, Again, because oh, I don't know too yeah. much about Cable, but when I picture Cable, I picture big, oh, dumb guns and mm-hmm. a big, dumb 90s book and probably some jokes about pouches and some okay. crazy time travel stuff that doesn't actually make sense, and then he shoots you. Mm-hmm. Or, That's or Cable. You can, or you can think about him eating a bagel, which is something that uh, that I wrote at length about not too long ago. Cable eats a bagel. The Joe Casey run, which humanized the 90s character, de-imageified him, made him very, very interesting for the first <laughs> I'm, time I'm ever. I'm jealous. It's hard to get good bagels up here. Do you have good bagels in Arizona? Hell no. Oh, man. Hell no. I'm going to be jonesing for bagel all day now. I, I, when I went back to, uh, I was in the city uh, back in New York in 2019, and I ordered a bagel. I ordered two bagels, and I said, uh, my, my standing bagel order is not toasted poppy bagel with butter. They toasted the damn thing, but I waited oh, online no. 45 minutes for it. I'm like, screw it. I guess I'm eating this <laughs> toasted damn bagel. But uh, yeah, I, I do miss bagels very, very much. And my my no-carb diet is not uh, doesn't facilitate me eating them very often. <laughs> Big old carb with a hole in the middle. That's about the size of it. But, oh, um, I miss it so much. Okay, so but Cable, yeah. this isn't, at least at first, it's not the the great big guy with the great nope. big guns. This it's is This is some kid. And mm-hmm. I didn't really know who or why he looked like that, but okay, now I learned cable. all about it on this yeah. other podcast <laughs> called Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, because it wasn't actually technically part of X-Lapsed. You it went was, back and revisited. What was the, the, the story? Extermination. I called it X-Lapsedination. Okay. Yes. yes. Now this So was you a, can learn all about yeah. why old cable turned into young cable. Back exactly. in those podcasts. Yeah, it had to do with the original five, the de-aged original five. It was a, a weird, weird story. But um, here we are with Kid Cable, and I only knew him from Fallen Angels, which we talked about a few moments ago. And I thought, like, oh, this is going to suck. You know, this is not going to be good. It's going to be some smart-ass kid. I, I didn't yet know if this was the old man de-aged the old man from a different universe, mm-hmm. the old man at a younger mm-hmm. age. I didn't know much about what this was. It's the X-Men, it's Cable. There's all sorts of any. crazy yeah. ways to make that happen. Could be a clone. Could be strife. Could, could be, be a yeah. robot. Could be a, a life model decoy. Mm-hmm. Who the hell knows? 
It's true. Um, and thankfully, this was written before Duggan forgot how to be funny because we got a funny story here. We got a funny, a sweet, a heartfelt yeah, it's, story. It's touching. Yeah. It's very, very hard. And also, it looks amazing. Oh, Phil Noto. The oof, Phil Noto oof, art in oof, this oof. is just, it's this candy. painterly, watercolor-ish. Oh, it's candy. But it, it has its own look to it that's unlike anything else in the X-Men line. Mm-hmm. And I think there was one time where I was confused by, is somebody supposed to look like that or not? But other than that, the art was A++. Yeah, there was there was a point in time where we like met all these variations of strife at different ages where it's like it didn't it didn't really stick the landing. It's like is this strife at is this old strife is this young strife? I was strife? I think I was am I supposed to think he looks exactly like that other character? Yeah, are we supposed to recognize this guy? Yeah. yeah, am I supposed to recognize it or is yeah. it just that's how these faces are being drawn? Like like yeah. you know Jack Kirby, his characters look alike. Not because they're related. That's just how Jack Kirby draws faces. Yeah, male, female, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, he has one male face, one female face. <laughs> but it was it was just a wonderful, wonderful series. And, um, you know, we, you can talk about, like, what, what does it mean for a story to have heart? And it's not a question you can answer, really, with uh, words. But you know, mm-hmm. when, you, when you read it, you know. And Cable was one of those books here. It was a kid trying to... Trying to live up to his own expectations, basically, because yes, if you hadn't read Extermination, you'd know that uh, you wouldn't know that Kid Cable came back to get rid of Old Cable because he went soft. He kind of fell off what his original mission statement was. He became lax. He became lax in his time, you know, copping basically, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to become that guy. He didn't want to become the soft guy with connections to people that he might not need or shouldn't have connections to. And it was all about, it was all about that, him trying to find his way. And then we mentioned earlier that he was dating one of the cuckoos and that was very complicated. Uh, Emma and Cyclops got involved as like the surrogate parent and the actual parent. It was very, yeah, we get to see well that, in, that interaction with the, with the summers is, 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 and you mm-hmm. know how they have, they kind of get their kid back at a at a funny age, and how yeah. they deal with that is interesting. And it's the he, first time that Cyclops gets to actually raise an adolescent. And yes, when uh, when he kid actually Cable, has a kid who's younger than him, which is exactly unusual. for the first, yeah. And when Kid Cable realizes that uh, he's about, he's done about all he can here, and he need you know the the world needs the old man back. That runs you know sideways to the way Cyclops is going to you know react to that. It's like I have my kid back and. You're going to leave now, and you're going to bring back the old man. It it got very very deep. It got very yeah. Was I was really good. I was disappointed to find out we were losing young Cable because I was enjoying mm-hmm. having him around. And I yeah. mean, it 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 tells the story well why he has to come back. But you know, I I still miss the the kid. Yeah, and just the way it was written, it was written like on two different planes. Here we'd get like these bits and pieces of old man Cable in like a wasteland. And you try to figure, it's like, is this like Krakoa 500 years from now? Is it? What is this on Earth? Where are we? Is are we on Mars? I mean, we might be. It might be, <laughs> might be on Mars for all we know. Now, it was just very, very well done, and it kept you asking questions. Um, it kind of got uh, taken off target by Exoswords. Uh, it kind of got taken off task by Sword the series, which we'll get to another. Yeah, time. I think the X of Swords came in pretty early in the cable run, right? Like fourth or fifth issue in. Yeah, so yeah. it really interrupted the the forward progression that that we we're trying to set up. And X of Swords actually did it was like a, a good thing and a bad thing for the series because first it, it took it took cable off task, which is a bad thing. It it made him forget about his main story. It made him go search for a damn satellite for an issue with his parents. 
But then the next issue, he's bested in battle, and that's where the seeds of doubt start to grow. And like, am I good enough to be here? Do I need to be here now? Am I the right cable for this point in time? So you take the good, you take the bad. And uh, and I mean, it was it was a really, really solid mm-hmm. book. If anybody Again, hasn't read it, definitely do it. Not, I don't know how relevant it is going forward because, again, all you need to know is, yep, we get the old man back and he's kind of dealing with now being, he was gone, but he's back. He was young, now he's old. Mm-hmm. So, but just as its own story, it's it's a, a really good one. Oh, yeah. So if you were like avoiding a cable series because ill cable, give it a go. Give it a go. It's, it's good stuff. Um, another book that I would always say, Definitely check this book out if you haven't already. Even if you have, read it again because it's that damn good. This is Hellions. It's crazy how good this book turned out. Not only just good, but how relevant it was, how how it talked about important things in the Krakoan world that other books weren't talking about, Mm -hmm. how it set up important events, how it, it took characters who we didn't like so much when they showed up in the uh, uh, miniseries name just popped out of my head because I don't like it so much. Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels. It re- redeemed that. Yeah. It, And it was one of those where there's this kind of, when it started coming out, this kind of bubbling talk on the internet among people who usually love to crap all over anything Marvel does, especially the Xbox, and say, wow, this 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 book is actually really good. You should you should read this book. No, like mm-hmm. not ironically, you should actually read this book. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's a wonderful, and it's a book that I wanted to hate right off the bat because it was a weird arrangement of characters, which is one of my pet peeves in comics, where it's like, hey, who can make the wackiest team? It's like, can we just have a team? This seemed like one of those wacky, for the sake of it, LOL random sort of teams. So I wanted to hate it for that. I also wanted to hate it because it was Zeb Wells, who is someone I'm very, very jealous of for all of his success. So <laughs> I, I was see. not a writer I knew anything about. So all I saw was, oh, here's here's a, a name that's kind mm-hmm. of Zeb. That's a fun name. I'll remember that. Yeah, he, uh, I remember uh, reading old Wizard magazines where he would like uh, send in like videos and stuff, and he'd win contests there. And it's like, I hate this guy. Who does he think he is being talented when when I'm not? And yeah, uh, and he's uh, he's moved on now to the Amazing Spider-Man book. Mm-hmm. So he's only two issues into that. Yep. The first issue was very very. It was super dark and let's so all the horrible things happening to Peter, which I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't so crazy about. The second issue really felt more Zeb Wellsy, and it really feels like he has the voice of Peter Parker. So yeah. I was happy to see that because yeah. he he Hellions really earned him. I think a, a prominent place writing comics for for Marvel. Oh, for sure, yeah, and and he's not a he's not a stranger to Spidey either. He did uh, Peter Parker Spider Man back around the turn of the century as well, and that was a, another fun fun run of the uh, of the character. But Hellions, man, man, wanted to hate it, and um, mm-hmm. it didn't take long. It so took- this is another team book. Yep, it's another team book with an old name, kind of twisted and repurposed. Mm-hmm. But this team is put together by one of the, again, surprise hit characters of the whole era, Mr. Sinister. Yep. Yep. And these are the problematic characters. These are the characters that are inconvenient. They're not quite evil. They're not, you know, they're not fully good guys. They're, they're just, uh, they're, they're the people with trouble. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're the, the bulls in the china shop that is Krakoa. Yeah, basically, basically. So, yeah, this team is put together as as a way to give them like to, to therapeutically deal with their like berserker impulses and stuff uh, like it's it's taking 
it's taking the bull in the china shop and pointing them at that wall you want removed. It's like, hey, while you're here, you might as well do something. It'll help you blow off some steam and it'll also help us out. So they're put together for this. And their first task is to go to the old uh, home for foundlings in yeah, Nebraska. It's, it's kind of funny how Mr. Sinister, we see him scheming that he has yep. the arguments he makes in public to the quiet council mm-hmm. are all about, you know, giving these, you know, everyone deserves a chance and redemption and it'll be good for them. It'll be good for Krakoa. But of course, we know it's Mr. Sinister. He has eight plans deep what he oh, yeah. really wants to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything's a means to an end, including including this team of Hellions here. And uh, Havoc was uh, probably our main character for this book, at least from, you know, you know, from the view, you know, looking in from outside. It's like, OK, we, we can recognize Havoc. He's the biggest name. Tenured, he's yeah, he's a summer's brother. Character. This is going to be yeah. big. For sure. And he's been kind of through the ringer for a little while now. Um, we can go back to Axis, which sucked. <laughs> Remember the act? Were you around for the Axis story? No, I've heard of it, but I have not okay. read it. it. I know was... he was part of the something War of Kings, something of Kings. Maybe. Yeah, I don't remember. Oh, no, uh, I'm thinking of Vulcan. That's Vulcan. Wrong Summer's brother. Wrong Summer's yeah. brother. Easy to mix them up. But uh, he was part of the Axis crossover. He was um, one of the leaders of the Uncanny Avengers back when they were doing the Unity Squad following Mm -hmm. AVX. There was another story, Avengers, X-Men, Axis, where constitutions were swapped, basically. Good guys became bad. Bad guys became good. Havoc became bad. Sabretooth became good. Hobgoblin became good. It It was... it sucked. It, was, it wasn't great. It was High a concept. Rem- yeah, it was a Rick Remender story, which uh, it was a, a very rare miss from him because I liked so much more, so much of what he's done besides that. Mm-hmm. But Havoc so, has had these lingering sort of uh, a weirdness to him. Where Right. He's kind of like causing, he, he kind of, I think the way it leads off is he kind of pops off and causes some violence in a way he's yeah. not really in control of. Mm-hmm. Like he can't explain afterwards why it Why happened. he did it or how it happened. Yeah. Right. And I was, again, I was thinking this was some, I thought we're going to find out at the end that this was something that was set up by Mr. Sinister to cause this problem. Yeah. And I mean, it still might turn out to be that, but that has not proved fruitful so far. No, no, no. It's, oh well, uh, seems to have gone a different direction. Another one of works. my another one of my theories that didn't actually come true. <laughs> so the other characters on here, we have a character with the lovely and not very modern name Scalp Hunter. Yes, yes. So Grey he Crow. has yes, Grey Crow. And one thing that happened in this book is I think we actually defined his mutant powers more than they'd ever been defined before. Where he's the one who can make the the guns appear, right? He actually makes guns out of himself. Like he he, he can weaponize himself. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like kind of like he's gunfire. It's almost like he beams in pieces of guns from some alternate plane. It's like forge, but with like our uh, ar- ar- you know artillery, forging <laughs> with armory, and not just uh, not not just gimmicks, right? And so he was also part of what what is this what. He was part he, of the mutant massacre. He was part of the original Marauders. Marauders, okay. Yeah, he was part of the original Marauders here, and Hellions. For folks who don't know, that was Emma Frost's team of uh, young characters. The uh, they ran a contest to uh, New Mutants. Right when she had Mutants. she had her own little uh, academy. institute academy that was yeah. kind of the rival to Professor Xavier's. Yeah, and that's where Generation X would start up uh, up in Massachusetts. So, mm-hmm. and there it, was a thing where Kitty might go to one or the other. Is that right? There was a bit of a there was a bit of a, a contest between Xavier and Emma, also with Firestar. 
um, where Firestar ultimately went with the Hellions, and there was a mm-hmm. whole bunch of very, very awful things that Emma Frost did to her. And yeah, was, but but this team, I think they really just it's a cool name. They wanted to use a cool name. So yeah. there's some, some characters that some there, rough edges to them called the Hellions. There is a bit of a fetish for that in the Hickman run here. I mean, mm-hmm. Inferno, we don't need something called Inferno. The Trial of Marat Magneto. Yeah. We don't need this redone, but, <clears throat> but we, we do. do have this character empath on the team and he was one of the original Hellions. The original Hellions. Hellions. Mm-hmm. So his deal is that he can affect emotions. Yep. Like even not not just emotions, but like attitudes, almost like personality shifts, tones. Yeah. So he's he he not only can do this, he almost can't stop doing he it. He can't not like do it. Uh, imagine yeah. that your whole life, if you wanted someone to like you or do something for you, you just had to want it enough, and your power would make them do that. For sure. What would happen to your personality? You'd be a piece of crap you would be a horrible human being mm-hmm. how could you not how could you and not this be? book actually makes you think you know feel bad for empath which you is get a funny empathetic thing to say. for yeah. empath right yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> An- another character on here is wild child mm-hmm. who is this feral animal man kind of a thing he's not quite a saber-tooth wolverine analog but he's in that you know he's bestial, that yeah bestial pack mentality you know, tear people up kind of mode. Yeah, and again, he, flight character. yeah, he's not someone you, you'd want coming to your dinner party, very rough edges, mm-hmm. but yeah. So he has to kind of learn how to get along with other people. Mm-hmm. We also have uh orphan maker and nanny who are yeah. two of the strangest characters very I've odd. ever run across. Very, so very orphan maker is this super powerful man child Mm-hmm. Big and strong, good with guns. He's wearing this armor that we we get hints about. This armor is like protecting him from ending the world. Maybe we don't know he what has, his powers. We are. don't know what it yeah. is, but we know he's got a lot of them, and they're real yeah. big and they're real mm-hmm. dangerous. Which makes you wonder why you bring him back. But oh, you know, which Krakoa, everyone gets it's a second chance. Yeah. And looking over this this crazy powerful guy is Nanny, who is. Again, a character always in this armor, but her armor armor is a big old egg yep. with giant like robot eyes on the front and little stubby arms and legs. And mm-hmm. she is his nanny. He yep. listens to her. He whines to her. She protects him, but also scolds him. And it's this weird, uncomfortable dynamic between them. Very creepy relationship. And I and I love how Mr. Sinister is always freaked out by nanny. Every time he sees her, he's like, Whoa! <laughs> Oh, it's just—that's just—he's he's surprised every time. Yeah, like, Segovia, you don't get used to it. Yeah, Steven Segovia is on the art here, and oh man, the, the facials this man can deliver—ridiculous! It, it, it's mm-hmm. amazing, amazing. Yes, the acting—it it really reminds me of like the old JLI issues. Oh yeah, very Kevin McGuire. Kev, yeah. Very Kevin McGuire. It—it's not a comedy book, but it has actual funny parts in the adventure story. Oh, that yeah, it's it's. Uh, comic timing is something that's hard to get like in motion, much less on a static page. And right. you get it in, in spades and hellions. I, I yep. mean, and just, that's credit to both, you know, art and Zell, story Zell, that they well, work so well together. Yeah. So we've it. got all these, you know, rough around the edges characters who need some training, need to get their confidence, need to, mm-hmm. you know, learn how to get along in this world. Mm-hmm. And so you got to put somebody responsible with them. You can't just have only problem children you need 
you know, nanny's a nanny, but she's got her own issues. You need she's somebody. Yeah. You need someone a little more normal. And who is more well-adjusted than our old friend Psylocke? <laughs> yes. This is, uh, of course, Quanon, the uh, one we just talked about in Fallen Angels here. She is, uh, was she one of the captains of Krakoa at this point, or was that not until later? I don't think not yet, no. I think that was after, I think that was when Cyclops left uh, to start I, his I team. I believe so. But uh, yes, yeah, she is. Um, she's in charge of them, and she is broken herself. And we mentioned that she is in, you know, emotional hock to Sinister. So uh, Mister Sinister is kind of like the the CEO of the Hellions, I suppose. He's not, you know, not the ma- he's not the middle manager. He's like the big wig. He's the one who represents him at the Quiet Council. And right. he's for him, he's the one who will get yelled at by the other Quiet Council members if and, and when these people screw up. Yeah, and then stuff rolls downhill. And uh, Psylocke is basically the middle manager there. She's the field leader. She's keeping everybody on task here. And it's it's really like a situation of, I don't want to say blind leading the blind, but like the broken leading the broken here, because she is just as damaged, if not more so, than these other characters here. And the dynamic that they're able to pull off here, you know, you, I don't know how you could plan to write a book this good. You know, this this book almost feels like it's so good by accident because it is just so damn good. Right. This was clearly not part of the original Hickman pitch. Oh, by the I way, yeah. we're going to have this crazy team over here. Awesome book. No. <laughs> it, it could Maybe it was. I can't imagine it was because it feels like it's so random, but it mm-hmm. it has the freedom to do things the other books either don't have the freedom to do or don't feel like they have the freedom to do. Sure. Sure. Yeah, because it, it, it is a very fringe book. Of course, it is part of the, you know, it's part of the same crew. It's part of the same books. It's part of the same editorial fiefdom, but it is an outlier. It's a fringe book. It's able to do the weird stuff. And one of the weird things it does is, uh, well, like we said, it goes to the Foundlings home in Nebraska where it runs into the original or the legacy Marauders. And that's where we uh, are. We meet our old friend, Madeline Pryor, who... If you're a long-tenured ex-fan, you see Madeline Pryor, you might have the reaction of, oh, wow, it's Maddie. Or you might go, oh, God, it's Maddie. The Goblin Queen. The Goblin Queen. If you survived things like Inferno, the original one, the real one. If you survived things like X-Man. You, you remember? You know anything about X-Man? Uh, I can't say that I do, no. Okay, well, X-Man, uh, he came out of the Age of Apocalypse. He's an alternate reality version of Cable. Okay. So, um so the the son of Cyclops. Oh, he was he was part of the thing that happened right before the Krakoa reboot. That was Age of X Men, yeah. Okay. But uh, back in the '90s, here he came to Earth as part of uh, the package post AOA, and it was immediately found by Madeline Pryor, who is basically his mother, and they fell in love, and <laughs> it was a very weird Yikes. story. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Madeline Pryor is a clone of Jean Grey, mm-hmm. created by Sinister. Cyclops was married to her for a while. While Jean was dead. While Jean was dead. They had a kid. And again, it's one of those things where there was a, a, she's been the victim outside of the book of like several retcons where she got the short end of the stick, I think is what happened to her. Yeah. So, yeah. So she is like, basically, oh, we got an evil version of every character. She's the evil version of Jean Grey. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Her one one sentence description. Yeah. So she is... She has a long history in these books, and she's done lots of things on her own as Madeline Pryor, but she's also just kind of a version of Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. So in this world 
where people die and come back, but you can only have one version of each at a time. Is she her own thing or is she just, you know, a bad clone version of Jean Grey and that, you know, when she dies, does she come back or do we just say, no, we already have one of those. We used to have two of them. Now we only have one. We only want the one. So this is is good. We actually want you to die is what we're saying here. And yes, she is not too too keen on that. She thinks she's real. Yeah. She wants to continue to be real, even though she was she was made by Mr. Sinister, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So he sent his team here to kind of clean up some of his old messes. Yeah. Because this is his old clone farm. He's got I forget what the other monstrosities are at this location. It's but... the other it's the other legacy marauders. Okay. Yeah, you know, like Arc Light and uh, uh I can't remember all their names, but yeah, the, the, they they're all there in Vertigo. And uh, mm. they are being corralled by uh, by Maddie Pryor, and she they they the the Hellions do clean up the mess, right? Uh, well, they it's not really clean at the end. They they clean up this mess, but they make one giant oh, mess of their own. They just blow the whole damn thing up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, we see a little bit of interaction between the human police force and the mutants and you know who's in charge of what and this is a mutant thing so we're going to go in yeah. but you're uh, you're not on Krakoa so you better be you know better play by the rules and whose rules are in charge but yeah so they end up havoc just kind of goes nuts at the end right yeah and blows everybody up yeah and, and havoc was um he was romantically entangled with madeline uh post her marriage and dissolution of her marriage with cyclops uh, Maddie was part of the Outback team uh, when the X-Men faked their own death and disappeared to the Outback for uh, an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie was with them. And, uh, you know, you, at the end of that was, I believe that was the fall of the mutants. Uh, Cyclops is like walking past like a uh, like an electronic store, like a, you know, back in the 80s, electronic stores had all those TVs in the window, right? And they sure. would always, and in fiction, they're always doing, they're always showing something important. Right. The expository news network is on. They are on. exactly what you need to know right now. Or the other thing is there's cameras in there and shining out and you see yourself and all the monitors and that's symbolic for whatever has to happen at that there moment. There you go. There you go. So Cyclops is walking past one of these very convenient stores and uh, finds out that the X-Men were killed in Dallas and Madeline Pryor was with them. So he thinks, well, he might be thinking, hey, my problem's solved. She's gone. Um, but in, in reality, he's like, oh, no, you know, they're all dead. Uh, in reality, they went to the Outback. She started uh, a romantic entanglement with Havoc. And uh, looks like, despite the fact that Havoc's been, you know, entangled with several other people in the interim, Polaris, uh, he was, I think he was briefly married to the Wasp and had a kid even. It's very, very Oh, boy. Weird. Yeah. I think Comics that was weird, the, man. Yeah, that was, around, uh, that was around Uncanny Avengers, I believe. Uh, probably around Axis. Um, so he's had several romantic entanglements, but I guess he just never got over his brother's girlfriend. So uh, here we have, uh, you know, the last stand here. Havoc is faced off with Maddie. She's dying. And she asks him to, uh, you know, basically just remember that she was a real girl uh, because she's very much, I mean, I mean, how do you even define that? Is she a real girl? Is she not? I mean, it really depends on the. Uh, yeah. It raises all these questions about identity and questions. personhood yeah. that, the Krinkoa era wants to say, oh, we fixed it all. We understand everything. This is what a person mm-hmm. is. And if one dies, we can bring that same person back. But this asks those crazy questions about, but this person over well, here yes. doesn't fit into that scheme. This, yep. 
you know, it's like a particle that doesn't fit into the standard model. It, it raises some questions about the mm-hmm. fundamental understanding of what's really happening here. And the other books often want to just brush that Lays aside, yeah. but Hellions puts the spotlight on it and says, here, this, this is a Think thing. This is important. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we mentioned either last week or the week before that um, we we mentioned Empath. He is uh, kind of kind of like the poor man's Quentin Quire as it pertains to dying in this book. Uh, he dies often in this Indeed. book, not quite as often as Quentin. Because who nobody could? does. He's the, yeah, he's the king. He is the king of death. Uh, so Empath dies a few times, and it's left to you know the very innocent and naive orphan maker to ask those questions like, how do I treat this person? Is this is this like I'm talking to empath? Is this like I'm talking to someone brand new? And Scalp Hunter or Grey Crow screws with him a bit. And he's like, well, yeah, you, you do whatever you, you know, whatever you want. Maybe he's the same guy. Maybe it's a different guy. Whatever. Kind of, you know, tweaks the, uh, you know, twists the knife a little bit. But just asking those questions that I think so many of us were waiting to have asked. Mm-hmm. And doing and, and who, such who a way. asked them? This, this weirdo little kid kind of joke character. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know out of the mouth of babes, right? They, right. He they, doesn't he doesn't know what he's not supposed to say out loud. The other exactly. characters kind of know. Well, it would be uncomfortable to say this thing. I'm not going to ask the uncomfortable question. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask why that lady looks like that or is using yeah. that medical equipment. I know not to say that is rude, but he just he just says what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if uh, if someone with sense asks it, they're either going to get an answer they don't want or they know they're going to be lied to. Right. You know. So the kid. Doesn't quite have those qualms, but I mean, we could talk about Hellions a lot more, and we will as we mm-hmm. work our way through. But uh, it is the best part of the X of Swords event. Oh, I've, hell, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and again, Lord. it's kind of off on the side. Yeah. It, but it does a really good job of being part of the event, but also continuing its own story, which is a oh, tough thing amazing. to do for for events. Oh, it's fantastic. So we'll we'll talk about that when we talk about the event itself. I think. For sure, for sure. But we have one last book to discuss out of Wave Two here, and kind of a you know i started this book hating it and then i, I kind of mm-hmm. fell in love with it toward the end but uh, we're, this we're is gonna we're gonna disagree four. on this book okay. probably more than most because okay. i started off hating it and i just hated it more every time <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's written by leah williams uh-huh. who has her own distinct writerly voice mm-hmm. and it's a voice that makes me want to put the book down and stop reading because it's, it's very it's a sense scary. of humor thing and like if someone's reading an adventure story and it doesn't quite vibe with your sense of an adventure story mm-hmm. it can still be kind of okay yeah. but i think if someone has a sense of humor that you just don't like okay it's never going to be it's hard to read through for the other good qualities of the book when this the sense of humor you don't like just keeps reaching up, at least for me, slapping me in the face saying, here's a dumb thing she said, just like mm-hmm. the last dumb thing she said. And the next page is going to have another dumb thing that sounds just like this. Yeah, And that, we, that makes me want to run screaming. We were in a bookstore not too long ago um, looking, looking at books, clearly. And there as was a does. kid, yeah, as one might do there. Um, and there was a, a young person, uh, maybe early 20s, uh, around in the, the aisle like around the around the bend and they kept saying i can't even over and over again i can't even i can't even i can't even that kind of it's like very very net speaky like like i could type i can't even you know (laughs) that's how a lot of you could put that up with any reaction gif and people would would would, it would work yeah yeah. yes so here's the thing when I when I started reading X Factor, that's kind of how the Leah Williams dialogue hit me. 
as someone just repeating the like same quaint sort of like current year uh, social media speak mm-hmm. twitter 256 character sort of crap <laughs> yeah, like it, someone it feels, just saying i can't even yeah, i can't it, even it feels like she's performing for a very particular in group that i am very much not, not a, part a part of, of. Yes, yes i'm very much specifically their out group there you and go it keeps there reminding me of that so but this <laughs> this book for all its its kind of stylistic stuff that I didn't care for, mm-hmm. it has more than a lot of these books has a very purpose. specific purpose for existing mm-hmm. in the Krakoan universe. It's so true. that purpose is, hey, if we're going to be resurrecting the dead mutants, we want to have the one who was dead come back. We don't want to find out later, oh, that person was actually just off on holiday somewhere, yeah. or was grievously injured, but you know, not actually dead. Recovered. We don't want to. Yeah. We don't want to have another Madeline Pryor situation happen to us. Pretty much. We don't want to have accidentally. Oh no, there's two of you. Mm-hmm. So X Factor's job, at least theoretically at the beginning, I think it gets kind of shaky. It their does. job is to confirm, oh yeah, that person's actually dead. Yeah. So it's not so much to solve the why did they die or to find the perpetrator. But it's kind of detective-y in the sense of just confirming actual death. Sure. And, and it opens up the possibilities to, you know, deduction on how things happened. We had, like, uh, Rachel is there. She could do her chrono-skimming gimmick. They can kind of find out certain bits and pieces if they need them, if they want them, if there are any questions to be asked. And I, I definitely like the concept. Um, and this, you know, Excalibur started with Otherworld and never left. I was worried that X Factor was going to start in Mojo World and never leave. I hate Mojo World. Mojo that was World another hurdle for me sucks. getting interested in the in the in the book because especially the Mojo modernization World, of the Mojo, of it's, Mojo it's World. It's very oh look how meta we can be about people enjoying watching bad things happen while we're reading a book about bad things happen and yeah. yeah. And it's like uh, you know Mojo was brought in as basically a commentary on like television. And how, you know, the lowest common denominator TV can be. And, you know, these are the things that get the ratings and it doesn't necessarily have to be good. It oftentimes is not. It's usually just garbage, you know, garbage in, garbage out. People will consume it. Well, now we're in the 21st century, so it's all like streaming. It's all like some clown with a, with a you know, yeah, a it's, reaction it's, GIF on there. It is uh, the most obvious updating of the, oh, goodness, of the gimmick. Yeah. Absolutely. So full of millennial speak, or do we even say millennial anymore? I'm so out of the loop. I don't know. Have we moved past that era? I, I don't even know what's next. Are we, we're generation 45 or something. I, don't yeah, I think millennials are, are now like in their mid thirties and forties, which okay, is so they're, they're old depressing enough, enough. So let's stop talking about yeah, that. They're, they're old enough to hate the people younger than them now. So, <laughs> but it was very, 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 you know, internet speak, very Twitter speak. I'm surprised they didn't talk with hashtags. It was uh, very unpleasant for that. When I finished the second issue, I actually reached out to people. I think I reached out to you as well. That's I did. I got a little message saying, yeah. hey, is this, this, am I wrong or does this suck? And I wrote back, yeah. no, it sucks even worse than you think it sucks. So there was some disagreement on this. I mean, you remember read several letters on your show about people's reactions to it. Yeah. And I, I was one of the more negative, I'd say. Because, I mean, I actually, this is the first book. And, I mean, we made it through Fallen Angels. We made it through all the giant-sized stuff. When I got to X-Factor number two is when I actually questioned whether or not I was going to continue covering every single book. Because I hated it that much. 
it was... It's one of those books where every character, like even if I'm, I'm looking right now at just the mm-hmm. cast of characters book gotcha. page, and all of the characters are rolling their eyes. That, because I would say Aurora because, with the roll eyes. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was always one character would say something and the reaction would be, oh, you again. Wah, yeah. wah. You could kind of hear that Basically. derp sound after yep. every line and like, uh, so it just reminded me, just looking at all the characters lined up, all <laughs> making that same face. Yeah, Aurora with the roll eyes and, and good old Dak and Dakin. But okay, so this book, what what did this book actually provide to the the universe? What is important to know about what X Factor did? You know, I don't think it got important until after X of Swords. Okay, I, I think it was I think it was launched at the wrong time. I think it was probably a victim of the whole COVID hiatus. Uh, I think that this was supposed sure. to get more issues before it got interrupted. So all we got in the beginning was uh, trying to rescue, was it Wind Dancer from a Mojo World? Wind Dancer like had said she was going to commit suicide on the air or let herself be killed on the air or something like that on the Buster Shot TV or whatever, the Buster whatever the hell TV. I I don't know. I, I think I probably missed Could a few not. of these middle issues. I don't think I even read yeah. some of these middle ones. It, um, Polaris is a pretty big point of view character in this book. Um, probably one of the stars, her North Star, were probably the, the main draws of this book, if you can call either of them that. But um, it, it's a hard book to really talk about outside of everything that comes after uh, after Exit Tens, mm-hmm. because that's when I feel like this book really hit the ground running, and I, I actually started to enjoy it, and actually started to like want it to continue, which I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. at all. And this book ended very unceremoniously. Abrupt as hell. It was yeah. one of those things where, you know, the writers, after a book is, is canceled, they often say nice things about, oh, we had, I'm sure Not we had more to time. say, but we were, I, this, I'm very proud of the team and yep. we did this. And Leah Williams was very much, yeah, they, they screwed me. I got effed. Yeah. And uh, what happened was, I think something that was supposed to be the next arc in her continuing story, they made into a miniseries yep. and then- cut it off. So everything that wasn't going to be part of this miniseries, she had to wrap up in like an issue and a half. Barely. Yeah, I mean, she didn't even get an oversized issue for it. it and was, the way uh, she rough. did it caused even people in her own in-group to say, oh, you you did the bad thing and now we have yeah. to ostracize you. And then it's one of those where you, you see a group turn on itself and you know, depending on how bad a person you are, you either enjoy that or you go, <laughs> oh yeah. I'm not going to say which kind of person I am, but, uh, but yeah, you, you see that kind of thing happen. And, and part of that was, I think because she had to wrap it up so quickly that she, she no was, choice. she wasn't able to, to give any subtlety to no, that. It that didn't story. have any room to breathe. It was like, it had to just get done. And, uh, because I mean, we, we look at comics now, like, like Jason mentioned earlier, uh, ongoings just aren't a thing anymore. You know, everything's a miniseries until we find out it's not, or any, everything's an ongoing until we find out it's not. So you can't always assume that you're going to have the opportunity to clear up anything. You know, when right. you're done, you, you're you can't, done. You can't plant little bubbling stories in the background. Not anymore. Because you're, if it ever gets to be brought back up, you're not going to get to do it. So why should you mm-hmm. spend that time? Exactly. Which and, makes and the stories less motion. textured, I think. But Big time. Big that's time. That's the way 100%. it is. But uh, yeah, I think we'll talk more about X-Factor. Because uh, X-Factor, the... The X-Factor chapter of X of Swords is a very, very important one because there's a huge revelation in it that uh, a lot of us didn't see coming. 
So uh, we will uh, we'll cover that probably when we get to Exosaurus. Yeah. So I think that's where we can wrap things up here. For next time, so. I think we'll come back in on the Exosaurus crossover. Very good. Which has some high points, has some low points, but has some major events that continue to be relevant. So that'll be certainly part of, of what you need to know going forward. Yeah. But to wrap this up, which of the books we talked about today would you give as, I'm not going to say a reading assignment, but if people want to know about what do I need to know about Krakoa going forward? Like what one or two series or set of issues do you, would you recommend? Oh, that's, that's a pretty loaded question here since, I mean, this feels, this almost feels like books that came out a hundred years ago in some It way. does. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, for pure enjoyment, uh, you know, Hellions is top of the list. I don't know for how sure. relevant that's going to be. It's, it's, I don't know how relevant it's going to be. It's also, it's hard to read on its own because a lot of the, the pleasure I think of it comes from seeing how Contrast. it fit in the cracks yeah. of mm-hmm. the other books. I think for it's sure. still a great book, but it's one of those things it, you're not going to get all the references. Yeah. Um, I think if X-Force. you're going to read one thing, I would say either X-Force or Marauders. I think Marauders yeah. 1 through 12 tells Solid a good story. It, yeah. it, it sets up, sets up what, what's going on with Kitty, sets up what's going on with, Relationship with the rest of the world and Shaw. So I think if you were just going to read that as its own story, I think it works quite well. I think so. I think so. Yeah, those are probably the two that are going to be the most resonant uh, moving forward. Uh, I mean, X-Force is the only book that, uh, I mean, it's the highest numbered book right now. And it's like issue 28 or something. Right. Which is ridiculous. Which is like uh, issue 1,000 in uh, modern counting terms. In 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 comic dog years, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I would suggest um, X-Force, Marauders, and if you want a good time, Hellions, for sure, for sure. But uh, yeah, I think that's probably All right. where we can well, tie things so up we'll, for today. Yeah, we'll tie things up. We'll say thanks, everybody who joined us on this uh, giant-sized edition of uh, mm-hmm. Weird Dose of X, because we have things we want to get through before the Judgment Day event starts. Mm-hmm. So yeah, next time, we'll go forward with the more some X stuff and... We will be getting to Eternals and Avengers, Avengers before the event starts up. So we're going to have to start hitting the accelerator on some of these books. <laughs> we did speed up this time. I think we can be we can be proud of ourselves for that. We didn't we didn't go issue by issue the way we did on some other stuff. No, no. But as always, if there's things you think we missed, if there's things you want us to talk about, if there's points you want to bring up, you know, hit us up on the Slack channel or on the Twitter or on the email that I hope uh, I'll remember to ask Jim to put in the show notes here. <laughs> and we will be back next time. But first, Chris, remind everybody where they can hear much more about each and every one of these series, each and every one of the issues we talked about today. Why, certainly, certainly. You can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com or you can go directly to chrisandreggie.podbean.com where you'll find, like Jason said, every single issue got its own half hour to hour long episode. If you, if you didn't think there was much to talk about, well, maybe I can prove that to you. <laughs> maybe I can prove that there isn't much to talk about, but uh, if you want to go like issue by issue through every single thing here or clump by clump, I've uh, got those as well. It's all out the, there. Yeah. If you want the X-Men fantastic four series all in one episode, it exists. If you want uh, well, X of swords in two episodes that exists as well. So it's there. Chris and Reggie.podbean.com. Chris is on infinite earths. I'm, not terribly active on Twitter anymore, but you can find me there at Ace Comics. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time, we'll see you on Krakoa. See ya. See ya.